This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out. He So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah, we are back. A's Cast Live. We're going to be on till 4 o'clock. And boy, do we have a fantastic show for you today. Our old buddy, Kevin Franzen, former big leaguer, now does play-by-play for the Philadelphia Phillies, a San Jose State Spartan. We love to bring him back home. He's going to be here at 1.30. MLB.com, Jim Callis covers everything in Major League Baseball. We'll be here at 2. It's a Thursday, so that means it's a Ray Fossey day. Ray will join us at 2.30. Mark Kotze will remain with the ball club, and he's now going to be your third base coach. He's going to work on defense. Uh, Mark Kotze, as we always say, one of the greatest college baseball players, if not the greatest of all time. What a great A he has been. He'll be here at 3. Matt Kawahara from the San Francisco Chronicle will be here at 3.30. So that the, the news today is basically the coaching staff is the exact same, except Kotze will not be your quality control coach. He'll now be your third base coach. For manager Bob Melvin, but Bushy's back, Scott Emerson, Ryan Christensen, Marcus Jensen, Mike Aldretti. Uh, it, it's pretty much the same. Al Padrique is the only coach that is not coming back. Cody, how are you on a Thursday? I'm good, Tony. Yeah, I was, it's sad to say, but I was really looking forward to yesterday because I wanted to see what guys were going to be non-tendered by what teams. And we saw some very surprising guys non-tendered. Uh, I know why I, I have a theory on why some of that's happening. Surprise for you. I think Eddie Rosario is a surprise from the Twins. Schwarber's not really a surprise for me. I, I saw that coming, especially with the uncertainty of the – we don't know if there's going to be a universal DH or not in 2021. I think that's a, a huge factor. Schwarber's not what I would say uh, fleet of foot and the greatest defender in the outfield for the Cubs. They also got rid of uh, Alberto um, – uh, now I'm blanking on his name. I had it. Alberto um, – I'll find it. I don't know why I'm blanking, but he's a really good defender, but they got rid of him. But uh, the other one is David Dahl from the the Rockies. He's a former All-Star. He's 27. He can't stay healthy. He's only in his second year of arbitration. I don't understand. If you're a Rockies team that, wait for it, that's not that good, and you're going to get rid of him, I I just didn't get it. And then Archie Bradley is the other one, too, from the Reds, who they acquired around the deadline. 
from the Diamondbacks. They thought he was going to be their closer. They stayed with Iglesias, and that's and then they let Bradley go. So those are a couple of the guys that surprised me. And then Gary Sanchez staying with the Yankees. I mean, I guess I'm surprised he's he's back with the Yankees, but I mean they need someone to DH for them apparently. So if it's not Stanton, well, the one guy you mentioned when you talk about Dahl, he's got years under club control. And yes, obviously, I think he only played in like 25 games or whatever it is, but he's cheap and he's good and he's under control. And you always like to think as an organization that if I bring him to our place and with our trainers and doctors and, you know, yada, 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 that a guy will stay healthy. Um, there's a lot of good players out there. That's why, to me, that this offseason is so fascinating because no one's really going to sign anything soon, which is fine for us. I, 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 you know, selfishly, when I think about Ace Cast Live and Ace Cast, to where, you know, we do this throughout the, the offseason, that there's going to be stuff to talk about. We're going to see guys signing in late December. We're going to see guys signing in January. We're going to see guys sign in February. We're going to see guys signing all the way through what we think may be a spring training. So, you know, and who's going to be bold? I mean, Schwarber is not shocking because it's been very obvious that the Cubs don't like their players. It's kind of weird, but, you know, it's like, they threatened these guys last year before. Hey, if you guys don't make hay, we're going to have to make serious changes. And I can guarantee you it's why Theo walked. Theo Epstein gave up how much? I think it was $10 million, I think he had left on his deal for one year. And you, you walk away from $10 million? No one walks away from $10 million. But you walk away if you don't want to be a guy that wants to go into rebuild mode. That's the thing. Especially if you've already done it, like he did. Like, yeah, he, 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 like, Theo got rid of the, the curse of the Bambino. He got rid of the curse of the goat. The last thing he wants to do is now tear it all down. I mean, when you've been at his level, why are you going to do that? But I think for other people, I mean, you're trying to tell me you wouldn't want Rizzo on your team? You don't want Baez. You don't want Bryant. I mean, they've got players. Who is going to be bold this offseason? And that's one thing I can't wait to talk to Jim Callis about is, you know, if you're somebody who really studies the minor leagues, well, we didn't have a minor league system. So you have all these hundreds of players who didn't play last year. I mean, you're dealing with human beings. You don't know what they've been doing. I mean, you could say, okay, I saw this guy over a year ago, but what's he been doing? If he wasn't at the alternate site, was he sitting on the couch eating Cheetos? Is he playing golf? Did he go get a job? I mean, how many of these young players are going to say, I got to go get a job? And they just end their careers. So, I mean, can you imagine right now if you're, I don't know, the Indians or the Cubs or you're one of these, the Rockies and you're looking to move people? How can you honestly evaluate 
minor leaguers who did not play. Now, I guess you can view alternate site video, I guess, because scouts weren't allowed to go to other teams' alternate sites and watch, you know, hey, it's uh, Soderstrom up against Caprellian. You know, you, you didn't get to do that. So if I have this trade peak, and I'll just say Francisco Lindor, Cody, how are you going to trade him? Who are you going to trade him for? You're going to trade him for players who didn't even play? Even if you were at an alternate site, you really didn't play. You were in scrimmages. They didn't play nine-inning games. It, it was it was a it was a really a controlled environment. Maybe you did get better. But all I know is, and, and we've lived this, right? We lived this with Donaldson. You could have a great trade piece. If you don't do it right, it's a really bad look. You know? And I think we live that. I don't know if people learn lessons from that, but you had one of the premier third basemen in the game, and you traded him for essentially nothing. Don't tell me what Kendall Graveman did, Franklin Barreto, Sean Nolan, Brett Brett Lowry, or Brett Lowry, Jed Lowry, Brett Lowry. Remember how we had to go through that. Um, didn't work. You made a trade. There's somebody left, though, from the deal. Yeah, it was uh, – Barreto got traded for Tommy Lastella, so Lastella helped the ball club a good bit this past season. But other than that, like, Nolan's gone. No, there's somebody else. Graveman's pitching for uh, Seattle. Seattle. Um, J.B. Wendelkin. Is it J.B. Wendelkin somehow is a part – but, like, like, come on. What are we talking about? If you're going to tell me in the end you got rid of an MVP – and what you got left is J.B. Wendelkin. No offense, J.B. Love the guy, but come on. So that's where I look at, like, I, I can't, I'm fascinated by the, this offseason. Like, if you're going to trade Nolan Arenado, for who? Some dudes who didn't play last year? And the guys that did play that made their major league debuts, they're not going to, you're going to, sorry, you're not getting Casey Mize or one of those guys that, well, Detroit wouldn't be trying to acquire guys like that, but my point is if you got ahead of a guy that was a major league prospect or a top prospect that made his debut last year, you're probably not going to trade him because you got something out of him, and he's a, he's a cornerstone for you going forward. When Delkin came over in the uh, Brett Laurie trade, when they traded him to the White Sox, when Delkin came back, so you got Wendelkin and a month, what, a little over a month of Tommy LaStella. Essentially from for, <laughs> for Josh Donaldson. Yeah. He had a down year last year, but he's pretty good for the Braves the previous year. And he won an uh, MVP in uh, Toronto. I'm going to say that's not a win. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that trade wasn't a win. Still too early to call it, I think. Oh, I hate when they do that. <laughs> I hate. Well, you know, they're, 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 you know they're, they're, these things live on, you know, because maybe you're going to trade J.B. Wendelkin for, uh, you know, maybe Max when, Scherzer. Maybe Wendelkin's going to be the next uh, Raleigh Fingers. Who knows if he if he becomes a closer, but. Uh, by the way, that player I was struggling with with the Cubs, it's it's Albert Amora Jr. That's what I was thinking of because there were other guys, and you're right about the, the, the trades. I think that's going to be a big thing with these prospects. But some of the things that happened yesterday too, like you saw the Orioles, which is curious. They're a team that's trying to rebuild, but I don't understand what they're doing. 
They cut uh, Ronaldo Nunez, former Oakland A, and he was led their team in home runs last year. They got rid of him. They traded Jose Iglesias, their shortstop, who they signed in free agency last year, who was a very good player for them last year, to the Angels. And then they cut Hanser Alberto, who was a, a very exciting player for them, who's led their team in runs. So you, you got rid of the guy that led your team in uh, literally their best defender. You got it led in home runs. You got it led in runs. So then you saw um, you saw the Braves get rid of Adam Duvall, who had 16 home runs in 52 games. Again, I think that ties into we don't know what's going on with the DH, so that's something there. The White Sox got rid of Carlos Radon and Nomar Mazzara. I, I see Radon as a guy the A's should take a flyer on. That's just me, though. He's, hurt, he's been hurt a lot, former top prospect, but you may, maybe you can get something out of him. But the the one thing that uh, we wasn't really uh, announced out there, Dan Straley, according to some people, a couple of people I saw, going back to play for the Lauded, the Lauded Giants on a one-year deal. So it's Straley not, according to sources I've seen on Twitter, like Craig Mish and others, uh, he will not be pitching the majors this year after leading the world in innings pitched last year in the KBO. Dan the K-Man. He had a good year. He was one of, like, Nine guys ever to have like 200 strikeouts in in uh over in in Korea, and then the other big thing was the Dodgers continue to acquire former All Star relievers <laughs> for virtually nothing, and they'll probably I I want to see what Corey Knable does for them. Now, I thought that was a sneaky good trade for them to get him from the Brewers after they non tendered him. You know the uh, the thing that 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 really stood out to me and. Good on Matt Olson is Matt Olson signing and getting the getting the guaranteed five mil. So no matter what, could be 162 games, could be 100 games, could be 60 games. Matt Olson's getting paid. So good on him. I liked uh, Tony Kemp also came up with a deal with the A's, but I think for for Matt Olson, that's just nice security. You're a young guy. You, you're getting handed $5 million. No matter what the season looks like, you're getting that $5 million. Good on him. I was happy to see that because you know how I feel about Matt Olson. I think Matt Olson is a very special player. And, you know, when you're thinking about locking up guys long term, he's one of my guys that I say uh, I want to see him locked up long term. Now, I know he hit, what do you, like a buck 95 or whatever, but in a shortened season, it was just so tough to judge everybody on a shortened season. But long term, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if someday we're saying Matt Olson is the all-time Oakland A's home run leader and he passes Mark McGuire. Do you be shocked by that? Not at all. I mean, we know the power he has. He has, the, the, from the left side of the plate, he has – I don't know what the, the scouting scale has his power, but I would say it's probably between 70 and 80 because the scale goes between 20 and 80. But he, I, I think his power is unmatched, in the, at least in the AL West. Uh, and, and what he does with the glove at first base being one of the best, if not the best defensive first baseman in baseball, uh, I'm with you. I think that he's a guy you, you lock up. I'm glad he got the five-year or the five million guaranteed going into 2021. 2020 was a, uh, <clears throat> as they call it, a small sample size. For uh, we can say that because the 195, whatever. For a guy like me, he doesn't care about batting average. He still put up. He still put up numbers. Uh, I know people are gonna be alarmed by that that batting average, but no, I mean, who really had a good year batting average besides like a uh, a Tim Anderson or Jose Abreu or Freddie Freeman last year? 
Um, Corey Be- uh, Corey Cody Bellinger didn't have a very good year batting average wise, but he's still Cody Bellinger. Wait, 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 wait. You mean the guys that got MVP votes? Yes. DJ LeMayhew. You mean the the guys that hit for average are the guys that got MVP votes, right? Yeah, they were. Oh, okay. Just just checking, because for some reason, I, I can't say it enough. It's math, right? The better your statistics are, the better the player you are. So you're a better player hitting 330 than you are a player hitting 195. Can you agree on that? Oh, I do, yeah. Are you a more productive guy when your math is better than the other guys? In most cases, I would say yes. Okay, just just checking. Like, I'm pretty sure all my analytics will be better if I have a higher batting average. Um, more than likely, yes, but there are some. There are probably there are some cases where that's not always true. Is there one analytic out there, Cody, that if I have a high batting average, I'm not going to be good at that analytic? Uh, not that I could think of. I was thinking more of along the lines of you can have a a high batting average and not hit if you're a if you're a like an MVP guy like LeMahieu doesn't have a lot of power, but he has some power. But he's gonna hit for a high average because that's what he does. He hits for extra bases. Wait for it. He puts the ball in play. Something that we don't see. Oh, something you we don't, don't see. like that. <laughs> something we don't <laughs> see enough anymore. Uh, if you look at the list of the guys that were the guys that were DFA or not DFA but non tendered. Let's see. Um, Albert Amora Jr. not really known for his batting average. David Dahl could hit for average. Uh, Adam Duvall, no. Mikel Franco, no. Nomar Mazzara, no. Eddie Rosario, no. They're all power guys. And they don't, they're not what you would call the greatest defenders either, in my opinion. They're more of – that's why guys like Nelson Cruz and, and, the, and Marcelo Zuno, the free agents, like we need to have rev- resolution on this universal DH. It's the middle of December – the, the winter meetings are next week, and we still don't know if we're having a universal DH, and I get it. The owners and the, and the players don't want to talk about it and agree or disagree because if the owners feel – the owners could feel, hey, if we give them that, then we want something in return in the CBA. Like, I, I get what's going on, but, like, there, it's essentially 15 new jobs, and it's 30 job opportunities for guys that are going to be DHs only, like an Azuna, a Cruz, an Eddie Rosario, maybe Kyle Schwarber going forward. You realize how many home runs Schwarber hit for? Uh, say that again. Short, how many home runs Schwarber, Schwarber what? Hit in 2019. Uh, wasn't like 38 or something? 38. They got rid of a guy that just had 38 home runs. Yeah. Uh, they don't like his batting average, I guess. <laughs> so at the age 25-26, he had an OPS of 823 and 871. Now, he hit 11 home runs this year, but once again, Cody, it's math. He only hit a buck 88. And so when you only hit a buck 88, that means you're not getting a lot of hits. You're not getting a lot of extra base hits. His OPS slid to 701, which is no bueno for a guy like him. But I think that's crazy. How much was he making? Uh, Schwarber was making, well, remember the. $7 million. Yeah. So. It's even crazy. like a guy like okay. So if you take if you take twenty twenty into account, Adam Duvall hit sixteen home runs in fifty two games for the Braves, and they not tendered him. I I get it. He's thirty two years old, but and he he's not really a, a def- an outfielder anymore. He's more of a DH kind of guy. But still, like I just I don't Schwarber's a one. It's a curious one for me. I mean, I saw it coming, 
But I mean, the five war, his career war is five. He's a career two thirty hitter. Uh, I mean, he has the home runs. That's great. But I don't know. He just doesn't do enough, probably, for what the Cubs are trying to do going forward. And he's getting older. What is he? Twenty eight, twenty nine. He's twenty seven. Oh, really? I thought he was twenty eight. Oh, well, still, he's in his mid to late twenties. When's his birthday? March. He'll be twenty eight in March. If if it got announced that the A's have signed him, I'm applauding that. I'm telling you right now, I'll take that guy right now. And I will plug him into the middle of the lineup and say, big boy, let it eat. I'd take him in a second. You agree? Oh, I think he'd be, I think he'd be great playing. In a, and like, I, I was ta- texting with a, our friend Wrightfield James about this yesterday. And he – you're not. I mean, he, I mean, I guess you could have him realistically split time with Chris Davis at the eighth because he he he's a lefty and the Chris Davis is a righty. You can play him in the outfield, some platoon him maybe if you need to. But I I loved that that move. I I said if it wasn't him, I would love to see Nomar Mazzara because of his age and his power and his arm. But uh, Schwarber is a guy totally. I could see like he's a guy maybe take a flyer on. Uh, maybe he's a guy you think more realistically he could fit your team better than Michael Brantley. Um, Oh, of, I, because oh, I'm yeah. just saying cost wise, <laughs> cost wise only, not for whoa, what he does whoa, on the field. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'd take Michael Brantley in a in a heart. Hey, Michael, welcome to the A's. You're hitting third every game. And then Tommy Lestella hitting it ahead of you. It's, it's oh <laughs> God, have Lestella at second. You could have Simeon back leading off. Lestella hitting second. Brantley hitting third, followed by Chapman and Olson. Forget about it. All day, every day. That's a that's a very good um, contact and power friendly lineup. Because Brantley still has some pop, and Lestella has a little, not not much, but he still has some. He's not like a a guy that's going to go. He's not Dwayne Kuyper. He's going to hit one home run and that be it for his career. But he's going to be a guy that he'll, he'll give you some power. He was an all star a couple of years ago before he fractured fractured when he fractured his leg on that foul ball off his leg. Uh, I like those two guys. They're probably the two best options out there if you're looking for contact-wise. I, I mean, I guess you can argue for Eric Sogard, former A, Nerd Power, or Joe Panic. But, yeah, I like those two guys if you're looking for guys to build your lineup around. If you want to put the ball in play, and who actually aren't that bad on defense. Well, Brantley's going to be more of a DH than anything, but he can play in the outfield still. Let's see. hit 300 and 840 OPS. I mean, at 33 years old, I mean, everybody, and I and I think as an A's fan and as a baseball fan, I think the reality is everybody's kind of in play. For like the first time in a long time, everybody, you know, until I see someone eight years, 200 and something million, think you're going to see a lot of one-year deals and that means everybody's in play and what makes the A's interesting is that if you're a free agent and you're willing to sign a one-year deal why not go to Oakland why not I mean you got a chance to win a World Series you're gonna you're gonna say to yourself as a free agent this team's won 97 games two straight years and then won the division so three years in a row, they've been in the playoffs. They've got a young core. 
if you're if if you're going to be one of these players that says I'm cool with a one year deal, why not Oakland? I mean, yeah, why not Dodgers? Why not Yankees? Why not Rays? Why not Twins? I mean, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing it in Baltimore or Kansas City or Seattle. If I'm going to be a one-year guy, I'm I'm cha- I'm chasing a ring. Who's going to pay me and who gives me a chance to win a World Series? It's that simple. I think you're going to see a lot of that. So, like, you might say, oh, you guys are crazy. Michael Brantley's not coming to the A's. Why not? It's also a chance for these guys to reestablish value as well. Uh, best example of this happening, what, in the last uh, 15 years? Uh, there's that Adrian Beltre guy. Uh, had that great final year at the Dodgers. He hit like 48 home runs. Goes to Seattle. Kind of stinks. Stinks. Go, stinks. Goes to Boston for one year. Has a great year. Ends up in Texas, and that's going to put him in the Hall of Fame probably because that's how good he was with Texas. It, 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 it could happen. It could happen with Brantley. It could happen with a guy like Kyle Schwarber. Not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's going to be a guy that can maybe reestablish some value. Eddie Rosario, though he's getting a little older. Guys like that. Archie Bradley's another guy I would not mind seeing in the uh, white cleats coming out of the bullpen for the A's if Liam Hendricks is not back. Uh, I like Archie Bradley. He's still kind of relatively young. I think he's if he's not 30, he's like 29. Uh, I, just, I just like him out of the bullpen. He has good stuff. Former first-round draft pick. Former starter made closer because uh, he couldn't cut it as a starter. How many times have we seen that more recently? Uh, he's another guy I like. But, yeah, I think Brant- – I would love to see Brantley here. I love Brantley when he played for the Indians. He was a fantasy baseball – um, I mean, every guy in fantasy baseball went after Michael Brantley because he did everything well. Scored runs, hit for average, hit for home runs, drove in runs, stole bases. And then he got older and just kept doing everything besides stealing bases. Well, I, I mean, every single time he comes up, you're like, ugh. Right? I mean, the guy can flat out swing it. He's not an easy out. Yeah, he's like one of the last guys you want to face. And that kind of leads me back to, you know, the two big free agents for the A's. Like, if you're Liam Hendricks, if you're Marcus Simeon, you're comfortable here. You're happy here. I don't know what I I I don't know what deals are out there. I mean, Simeon's agent can talk about a hundred million dollars. I if if I had to bet on that, I would bet against it. And then, of course, we've we've talked about the free agent class after next year. You know, Ray Fossey will tell you, man, if you're happy, you're going to make money either way. Okay, you're going to make your millions either way. But if you're happy, you probably play better. And for the most part, you know Simeon's happy here. You know Liam Hendricks is happy here. Who do you think is tougher to evaluate in a contract? Is it Liam or is it Marcus? Um, I think with the value that people have on relievers, I think Liam's a little more easier to evaluate just what he's done the last couple of years. I think Marcus is because people – he's a little hard to predict because people are – like people are probably thinking, is he going to be more like the guy we had we saw in 2020 or the guy – you know, scratch 2020. Is he going to be the 2019 Marcus Simeon where he had – the third, he was third in MVP voting, had one of the greatest seasons in Oakland A's history, or just A's history overall. Or is he the, the guy prior to that where he was a, a you know a decent player, but he wasn't MVP caliber? 
I think a lot of people are looking at that. Jim Bowden had an article for The Athletic talking about moves to the National League, and he said the Phillies should sign Simeon. Two years, $18 million. So that's one of those deals where maybe Marcus can reestablish value. But if you're if that's the deal, then you're, you're telling me that you, you don't want to just be back in Oakland for that, if that's the, money, that's the money on the market. And then Liam, he said the Dodgers, three for 42, so that's a little more money a year for Liam. What is it going to be like, not for star players, but the regular guys this offseason? Kevin Franzen will join us next. Well, I got to tell you, I think this offseason is going to be fascinating from a standpoint of it's like a buffet if you're a front office guy. Oh, today's, got, far, today's Farhan day. You've got, I, you've got so many good players out there. Yeah. You've got a lot of guys who are going to sign probably one-year deals. So I want to ask you, you know, the star players will always get theirs. But yeah. what do you think it would be like someone in your career right now, if you were a free agent, what do you think that's going to be like? They're going to wait it out as long as they can and not the player. The team is. And if they give the, any bit of, well, maybe we, you'll jump on it. Like you talk about any, any guy that gets that feeling that a team wants them and they give him an offer, you're taking it. You're not waiting for the best offer. I feel like I just, I just, I just not in today's, not in today, not in 2020, you know, and, and, and you could say that in recent years. Right. I mean, there 59 guys got non-tendered yesterday, which is way down than what we thought. Right. We thought it was going to be close upwards of uh, uh, closer to 100. Um, but like I, I said, it I coined it on MLB Network Radio. I thought uh, December 3rd was going to be Farhan Day. Right. It's the official Farhan Day because everyone got non-tendered and he finds more diamonds in the rough, no matter what organization he has been in and been involved with. Uh, and with the Giants, they're going to take some chances. And I was like, damn, like, look at the guys that are out there. Like, wh which one do you want to start with? With Archie Bradley, David Dahl at 27 years old? He's a free agent now. Are you kidding me? There was a top prospect in the, in the Rockies organization. Yeah, he's had some injury problems, but come on. Like, this is incredible right now. I, it, what, what, what fascinates me is. The, the lack of traction the MLB and MLBPA have had on the DH. Is there a DH? Is there not a DH? It's holding up, in my mind, others think not really. In my mind, I think it's holding up a lot. That guys want to, because there are guys that want to sign, right? So when you go back to your original question, what would you have done? Uh, if someone offered me this, I'm taking it. And if, you know, if you're one of those star players, I'm holding out. Now, if I'm one of those star players, I'm holding out also for, oh, is there going to be a DH in there? There's a DH now. Huh. Can we get an extra year? You know what I mean? Like, there, there are certain guys that have the ability to do that. You know, I, I, I mention this all the time. Like, our, our entire lives, we've had the DH, right? We, mm -hmm. we had it in high school. We had yep. it in college. You had it in the minor leagues. Uh, the only people that don't have it is the National League. So you now broadcasting in a National League town. How, how did Philly fans feel about the DH? Uh, I mean, everyone's always going to revert back to like, oh, well, I, I, I like it old school. Old school. Well, when your pitchers don't practice bunny anymore, when actually no one practices bunny anymore, <laughs> what does it matter? 
you know, and, and I've always been the National League. I The reason why I like the DH and the pitcher hitting <clears throat> is American League National League. I love the two distinct leagues. That's it. That's really why, like, behind my whole thing. Is it strategy? Eh, a little bit of it. I mean, how many times are, are we going to see, you know, guys outplaying the other one, you know, as far as, like, just being able to outmanage them? Well, we're seeing it just in general without the D, with the DH. So, um, I, I, I just, I think the Philly fan really, really, really enjoyed having the pitcher, but if it means getting someone right and bringing a another bat into the lineup, they're for it. But at, at the same time, uh, what Theo Epstein had said, right. I think resonated more with more Phillies fans about like the game has got to go a different way. We got to get more action involved in, in all this stuff. Well, part of that is having a DH that comes in and actually can hit, right? And not just be like the three true outcome. It can't happen. So it, it, I, I think the Phillies fan is very into the DH if they have the guy, if they have that right player to be the DH. Other than that, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, we, we, we go over the numbers and pitchers can hit and it's just an easy out. And, mm -hmm. you know, as, as an American league people, we look at it and we go, are you guys just stupid? Why do you want an easy out? And why do you want all these double switches? And mess smart. With your water? And it's like, I just, I, I, I why would you not want to well, have some big the, dude up there hitting bombs? An another reason to have the DH for me is, Look, utility guys, bench players, I have a little thing for for being one for a long time. Uh, yeah. You're basically obsolete. You might now you look at it, you might in a game have one pinch hitter. Right. And, and when I played in 2010 with the Angels and being in that in the American League, the only time in my career. If I didn't start, that sucked. <laughs> like because you knew you were not playing. Brandon Wood was going to go 0 for 4 with three punches again. You know what I mean? Like, and you weren't going to play. But that was how it was going to be. Uh, and so I like, and, and, and tell me if I'm off on this, but I feel like the National League player with the pitcher hitting is more engaged in a game. And that is only my opinion because I have one season in the American League and don't think I know it all on that. I just take it from the National League side, and I feel like there's a lot more guys engaged in the game when the pitcher is hitting because there's a chance they can get in. I think you could say that, but I but but I think what's changed is kind of the um, Billy Bean, Moneyball mm -hmm. taking advantages. So, like if you watch an A's game, Bob Melvin's using his entire roster. So I think now with everything right left, you know, you're looking at the the numbers. You see a lot of change. Going back to your Anaheim days, mm -hmm. it's like it's like, what? Why can't they? What, they can't figure it oh, out, right? Man, spend a lot of money, and they can't yeah. figure it out. But I mean, if you're a player and Artie Moreno's got that big checkbook, why would you? Like, if you're Trevor Bauer, why would you not want to be an Angel? Oh, I don't. I honestly, I everyone's excuse, California taxes. It's like, okay, great, you're gonna get your money. Like, <laughs> at what point is? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're just going to get paid. So what what made sense, obviously, was giving the extension to Mike Trout. We all know that. Greatest yeah. player that we've seen in, in our time. Like, I, it, it's a fact. Uh, 
the problem and look you and i've talked about this plenty like i'm a huge anthony rendon fan when they missed out on strasburg when they missed out on garrett cole and they i feel like they panicked that's been kind of like their mo right when when Artie has been signing because those are his deals right there that's not billy epler in in that one with with rendon that that's that's more Artie. uh it, it's the same thing with josh hamilton and and Albert Pools, what do they need in all those years? What did they need? They needed pitching, you know, and they're signing these guys. And it's like, why the Josh Hamilton, the Albert Pujols contracts really, really hurt him for a while. And, and still does. That's why like, I, I look at Bryce Harper's contract, right? The way it's structured, it goes down the last three years. What do you see with Pujols? What do you see with Miguel Cabrera? Theirs starts to rise. Theirs is still going up, and you're going, how, <laughs> why, you know? And and so I think a lot of it has to do with structure of contract, and you know, not really. You know how we 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 see it all the time with the NFL, how they're able to, you know, get that that money up front, and then kind of, you know, you have the teams that like the back load or the teams that like the front load. The front loading teams are the ones that can maneuver a lot more, right, and have a lot more. Uh, uh, flexibility. The Angels have never given themselves flexibility, and it, it just—it's—it's just, it's just uh, like if I'm—if I'm a pitcher, I'm going. Yes, I am going there. Why? Because it's a—I mean, you've been down there. It's freaking awesome. It's Orange County. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. You so pay, I don't know. Hey, hey, you pay me like thirty million dollars. I'll be fine paying the taxes living in Newport Beach. I'm yeah, you think? Huntington, Laguna, Dana yeah. Point. I'm going to be good anywhere down there. I remember uh, Steve, who was it? Steve Fiziak was doing the play. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, man, you got like the coolest gig. Like you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're um, yeah. He was like, oh, I had, I, I was, I was, uh, I was at Dana Point having lunch with my daughter. I'm like, oh god. And then did the game. Like yeah. really? <laughs> god. That is no, a, it, it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that, that's the other part, too. Like how many guys are actually going for area? Right. Is it just money? Because to me, there's two of the greatest places on Earth besides the Bay Area. And that's Orange County and San Diego. Like it's just, you know, those two areas are going, oh, man, I get it. The tax is great. Again, you are at a spot where those taxes really don't matter. <laughs> if you're getting the 220 over your career come on yeah uh so looking at the the the, the east man <laughs> if the mets are going to start opening like my my cody my producer thinks uh the mets are going to sign every big free agent um i mean it's you got the marlins now are tough yeah to i mean it's yeah. a, it's no day at the beach no well like the last two years uh prior to this it was who was going to beat up on the marlins you know, and it, it, whoever did that within the division won the division. And it was the Braves. At, at one year, I think they were uh, 16 and three against them. You know, something absurd. Uh, this past season, you knew that they they had the pitching, right? So they're they're going to be fine. Um, so you couldn't put it on them. It was like, who's going to keep their head above water and not get beat by all these teams in the shortened season? Uh, the Mets are, are scary. Look, the Strowman signing back or taking the qualifying offer back was great for him. Love. I, I'm a I'm a huge Marcus Stroman fan. Uh, to go with Degrom, you never know what Syndergaard's going to be like, it, it, when it's going to be like. Right? 
because we don't know when he's coming back from Tommy John. Uh, Steven Matz, I mean, he is the bipolar of, of pitchers. I mean, there's it, it's either dominant or it's bleh. Like, he is legit. They need catching. And it would make sense if they went after JT. I get it. But what makes more sense to me is James McCann there. They've already gotten Trevor May, who I thought should be the number one, you know, guy to go after if you're the Phillies in a pen that needed everything, right? You needed all these guys. I thought Trevor May going back to the Phillies was number one. He wanted to, uh, but he chose the Mets, two-year deal. Um, The Braves are so good. It's like, okay, now you see all these non-tenders, right? The 59 non-tenders, there's a couple guys in there that you're going, oof. If the Braves have had success with Josh Donaldson and then Marcelo Zuna on those one-year deals, who's the non-tender, right? Who's that guy that's going to go, well, I'll just go in that lineup and hit behind Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It is absurd what they have there. The depth that they have, the pitching depth that they had, and they've added more. Is Drew Smiley going to change everything? No, but that's a that's a damn good piece to have if you are the Braves. Charlie Morton, is he going to change? You know what? Maybe not early on in the season, but when you get to the uh, dog days and you get to the playoffs, because they're going to be in the playoffs again with this talent, if they stay healthy and you're going, Charlie Morton, I mean, how smart are they? Right? They continuously do this. I told you this a long time ago over at our, our favorite spot at Hoppa's. That I'm like, the Braves are built for another run. Is it 15 years? No, but it's a run that is could it be like the could it be like the Dodgers, where it is when you know, year after year, the West, you know, the NL West, you're always in the playoffs, getting to the, you know, getting to the dance. It's all 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 you need. They have that ability. They are so good. The Nationals expect them to be better, right? They're, Mike Rizzo does not. He does not like losing. And so I, I, I they worry me. Uh, my own team worries me with the Phillies because we have no direction right now. And it, it, it's very un, you know disheartening um, when you look at it. But again, we are in December and there are a lot of dudes out there that could help a team. <laughs> you know, the notes, you know, that before every single show that we go over and looking just how historically bad the Phillies bullpen was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was like, like you're calling these games. Like town. It was not fun. You can't hold a five, six run lead. No, it, there was a game that we were up 13 to nothing. And we had to get our closer up <laughs> in the ninth. That's bad. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, we were just absolutely dominating. Uh, Newcomb, Newcomb pitched. Uh, Harper had a, I think he had two homers or whatever it was. I don't, I don't know. Didi had a grand slam and then you're getting, you take those guys out. And next thing you know, that's like one after the other hit, 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 keep the line moving, hit, hit, hit. They might've hit a home run to end the, the whole thing, but it was like, oh my gosh. Like, so then we trade for David Phelps, uh, Workman, Heath Embry and David Phelps have been money with the Brewers comes over and he bleh, right. Everything was down the middle. Everything was leaking over. Was he trying? Absolutely not. It's just like you, you almost had that jinx bullpen where whatever you're bringing in, no matter what, something was going to happen, right? Workman two years ago was unbelievable in 19 for the Red Sox. 
This year, I think he gave up, I don't know, 70 hits, right? It, 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 it wasn't that many, but it felt like that in the limited time that he had. Uh, but look, it the 60-game season was so hard to, I think, tell about a position player. But I think pitching, especially relievers, I think you could tell a whole lot about. And I, I, I saw we saw one, maybe two guys in the Phillies bullpen that got better. Connor Brogdon, young kid, made his debut this year, gave up a home run on his first pitch, gave up two home runs in his first outing, and then those are the only two runs he gave up the rest of the year. He gave up like one other hit. I mean, he was unbelievable. Got sent down, developed a cutter, had the cutter, but made it, refined it. Uh, has a nasty changeup throwing 96, 97. But you don't have enough of that. Right. I mean, when you're looking at the East and everyone can hit everyone, everyone's so athletic and everyone's got arms. We didn't. And that's what that, that's what cost us. Well, you know, one player that's been linked to the Phillies is our own Marcus Simeon. But yeah. I just not I'm not. Is, is Philly going to be looking to spend big again? Uh, we are being told no, but I think that's just a, just trying to play it right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the stupid money thing was uh not good a couple of years ago, but now um look, it, it just Marcus Simeon wherever he goes, congratulations. That dude's awesome. Do I do I hope he's in Philly? Absolutely. Kidding me? What he's turned himself into being a Bay Area guy, like I I've said it, I would love him in Philly, but I, I god, I hope he stays in Oakland. Yeah, he means so much to that franchise just in general. He means a lot to people that you know obviously have talent. It doesn't matter wh- whether it's you know baseball or not, but he has the talent. But the way that he never took it for granted and worked his butt off, man, to make him into what he is, I just I, I, I'm pumped wherever he ends up. I, I just hope it's in in Philly. How's having two kids now? Uh. Well, there. I'm gonna switch it to. Uh, well, Chris, thanks for asking. Uh, man, he doesn't sleep. Not easy, is it? <laughs> he does not sleep. He's like, I'm like this every morning. Like, oh god. My daughter comes in at five thirty, going like, "Hey, what's up?" I'm like, I just went to bed like an hour ago. It feels like, what's up? What do you want? And she goes, oh, "I'm hungry. You want to go?" I'm like, "No, not really." And then uh, I try to delay it. It's just, it's just different, right? Like there's, there's no thought there's no, it's all reaction, right? Everything's reaction right now. And we're getting used to it. We wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, he's been, he's, he's fun. He's fun when he's happy and fed. Well, let me me tell you, someone had twins. Um, I don't know. No, I don't, I don't want, I honestly, I don't know how you guys do it. I'm, I'm, we've had this discussion, my wife and I, how people do it with twins. That means I, I, the, that means the dad has to get up in the middle of the night every time too. <laughs> I would I, I, seriously, I would be up all night long because after you feed one, swaddle, put back to bed, you feed the other one, and an hour later you got to start this whole thing again. And oh I, yeah, I remember looking at people going, "You have one kid. Do you know how easy just one." Oh yeah. Is? Well, we thought that, but we have a five year old who has my energy. <laughs> which is insane and she's like it, like swear to god from 6 a.m on it is go like let's go and you're like oh i don't know if i can handle this anyway we're we're lucky we're lucky when are you coming yeah. back home 
Well, uh, with all these restrictions now, I have no clue. They they lock they just locked us down again. Yeah, yeah, I know. Hopefully the uh, the business does well and um, people order out, right? Yeah, I do. I took the kids down to uh, Santa Barbara for Thanksgiving because they oh. wanted to campus. Uh, that's pretty stupid. I'm like, do I really want to send my kids to a school that's on the beach? Uh, hey, wait, hang on. Let's rephrase this. Do I want to send the kids to school where I can visit the beach? Yes. I, 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 yes. Went, I went and played Sandpiper. It was great. I mean, uh, it's amazing. I, I spent two summers there playing in Santa Barbara. It's fantastic. I'm watching people walk with their surfboards across the campus to go surfing. You got to like, go to Blacks. Yeah, you go to Blacks. You go there. Is this uh, is that a good idea? Yes, absolutely. Right. It's a fantastic. Right. It's a UC school. Let's go. I know, I Galita, know. it's cleaned up a little bit. Del Playa, come on. Santa Barbara's beautiful. All right, Telling buddy. You, uh, you could have them go there, but it is all about your vacation. Remember that. And you know what? It's the drive's not that bad. And it's like, yeah. We also went by Cal Poly, which, by the way, I'd never been there. Another, before. what? That is a beautiful campus, too. Well, they, weren't, they weren't D1 when I. That's I'm, true, I'm, but I'm it is a fantastic place. I was pretty Great impressed. Place. You should be. You should be. It's in California, so you're good. You look amazing. I just want to tell you that. Everyone what? else can't see you. Yeah, you look amazing. <laughs> I've been playing. Hey, I've literally I'm playing three, four times a week. It's it's like life is. Uh, you want me to send you more about my? I'll, I'll send my. I'll send my driver out there for you. All right. Yes. Yeah, send me your track man readings. <laughs> That's how. Because getting out here is not the easiest of things, so you you go you resort to other things, right? And so getting the, the rap soda machine and having it out there to seeing what you're doing, it's like, all right, I guess we could play with this. Well, I miss you, man. Miss Can't you too, guys. To Appreciate it. Have a great Christmas. Enjoy. Yeah, we'll talk family. to you. All Peace right. Peace. Bye -bye. The great Kevin Franzen, right here. Former. I still think God. He would have. He would have no problem telling you. Uh, I still think he's our all-time hits leader at San Jose State. Just two San Jose State legends going back and forth there. Uh, he was a little bit better than I was. Uh, what? Don't let the don't let the he made it to the major leagues get get under your skin. <laughs> hey, I gotta tell you, whenever I think about like him leaving San Jose and going moving to Philadelphia. All I think about was last February when I was in New York and we walked out of the hotel and we were going to the 9-11 museum. And I was how cold it was. Like it didn't matter. I had the I had the thermal underwear on, you know, that I used for the sidelines for the Raiders. I had all that NFL sideline gear on that somewhat you know, keeps you warm. It was so freaking cold. It didn't matter that I had, I had the, I had the hoodie. I had the, I had the gloves. I had the, the hand warmers. It didn't matter. It gets so cold back there. It's, I, I, I couldn't live in it. You're talking to someone that grew up there. So I know exactly what you went through, but I did it for 24 years of my life. I couldn't, do it. <laughs> I couldn't I, it's just like, it's miserable. You're literally miserable for months. It's so cold. 
uh, I got pictures from a couple of my friends and my parents the other day. It was snowing there uh, already. I think they got like six inches or something. Now, remember, I grew up in Western PA, so uh, Western PA is way different than uh, the Philadelphia area. Um, there's a lot more winning that happens on the western side of the state, but uh, it the it's when it snows, it snows everywhere there. It's it's a mess usually when it snows, and they're always behind on snow plowing and all that stuff. There's always two hour delays. That, that was that was always something I look forward to getting up in the morning. Will I have school today or not? That was always a fun game to play. He was talking about like like what do you do when the snows on your windshield? What do you do? Uh, so you have to go outside essentially, turn your car on. Uh, put the, the 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 froster on or the fog or whatever. You, what everyone calls it something different, and let it run for a little bit. And it starts melting the ice, and then if you need to, you can start scraping it off. You can use a scraper too. Oh. Uh, yes. Yeah. What's you, the thing with the driveway? What do you have to do with your driveway? What do people have? So okay, so I don't know how people did it with an asphalt driveway. My dad uh, is a big gravel guy, so literally when it snowed. Um, my dad was really weird about the the snow, so he'd be out there shoveling the driveway for our, everyone to get up and out, go up and down the driveway. Um, but yeah, it, it was always a mess. That's why I think you, you well, everyone puts salt down. That's for sure, so that it helps preventing ice and all that stuff. But it's a it's it's always a it's always a work in progress. I remember when I first went back a couple of years ago. It was March. It was like middle of March, and it, and we got a ton of snow when I was there. The first day I got there, I remember I have a video of my dad outside snowing or uh, shoveling. And he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like. I don't do this at home. What do you think I'm going to come back and do and help you? <laughs> Isn't it nice like in Tahoe, they like whatever cabin you stay at, they pay somebody who comes up and, and does your driveway for you? Yeah. I the Both times I've been to Tahoe, it's been in the winter when it snows really bad. Uh, the first time I didn't drive, the second time we drove, and it was when I had my, my old car that was all-wheel drive, uh, I remember they are like, hey, we got chains. I'm like, chains? I don't need chains. I didn't grow up with using chains, so it was it was fun though. I mean, but the snow, I mean, if if you're up there and it snows, and you don't leave soon enough, I've both times we sat in delays of like ten hours to getting back from oh. there to San San Jose. Well, my entire life, I've lived in San Jose for how many years? So my first eighteen years were in San Diego, and after that, it's been. I haven't dealt a whole lot in snow, and I never plan to. Like, I can't, like, like the New York Yankees called me up and said, hey, we want you to move. <laughs> Sorry, man. Well, you don't want to, I, I mean, that's an opportunity to work with John Sterling, Michael Kay. <laughs> MLB Network calls, I'm like, hey, if you guys want to build a studio in L.A., we make it talk. I'm not moving to New Jersey. Hey, we no. We- chance we want you to work for us go uh, then your response can be can i work out of chris rose's studio in la <laughs> can, I, can i work at a dodger stadium yeah can i yeah dodger uh, stadium Alice from mlb.com is going to join us mlb pipeline what's the minor leagues going to look like how do you make a trade these kids haven't played we'll get into all that next right here on a's cast live hi this is ramon laureano and the throw is gonna be in time at the plate Luriano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace Baseball. You know, Commander, thinking about this, it's just a reality that, you know, these front offices are going to have to make some really tough decisions. 
and they're going to be dealing with a little bit of the unknown. Because you don't know what these kids have been doing. I mean, he, I mean, think about if you're Cleveland. You're trading one of the best players they've ever had. For what? What guys, are you trading for? Guys you haven't seen play mostly since 2019 in the minor league season? Because I don't think a lot of the the – some of the guys' top prospects, like I said, the teams that have a lot of their guys debut or got teams that weren't really contenders this year. But, yeah, you're not seeing a lot of guys that you were hoping to see this year because of the pandemic, and they're all with the alternate sites. So it's it's tough for these teams to make trades not knowing what these guys went up to or what they look like. You know, have they progressed, regressed? Like, you know, have they made any changes to their swing, their mechanics? I mean, everyone's always working to tweak and improve, but we just don't know, and it's tough for a team like Cleveland – the Cubs with uh, Chris Bryant, and especially the Rockies with if they want to get rid of Arnado, which it sounds like they're trying to again. But um, you're right about Lindor; he is one of the best players the Indians have ever had. So it's gonna be tough for them to. I mean, the fans know it's gonna happen, but it's gonna be tough if they don't get the right return and return for a superstar player like Lindor. Yeah, because y- y- you essentially set your franchise back. I mean, if you don't come away with the right collection of talent, you know, a really bad cliche, but it's true. Uh, guys like Lindor don't grow on trees. And if you're gonna pull, if you're gonna play the we can't afford him card, well, what are you gonna replace him with? And now you're, you know, you're relying on. And we talked to Shooty Babbitt about this. And we'll talk to Jim Callis next. You know, you're relying on scouting reports from what? A year ago? You don't know what these kids have been doing. You don't know how much they've been partying. You have no idea how much they've been training. I mean, this is a total unknown. So it's it's a, it's a fascinating offseason. Here is my conversation earlier today. We caught up with Jim Callis from MLB.com. Jim, always great to hear from you. Thank you for being on the program. Oh, yeah, no, glad glad to be here. Always, always fun talking to you guys. So what is life like, you know, covering Major League Baseball? I know on our end, but on your end right now, uh, there, there's still so many unknowns uh, about whether it's big league baseball all the way down through minor league baseball. Yeah, I mean, yeah, none of it's there, – there are no certainties, you know. Um, uh, even, you know, we made it through this season, you know, and, you know, I, I'll admit I didn't think they were going to make it through the major league season when, when guys were getting sick. You know, the Marlins and the Cardinals right off the bat, and they did, and they, they got just through the World Series before Justin Turner tested positive. And, you know, I don't know how much longer they could have gone necessarily, but they made it, and, and now we're kind of – kind of similar situation to where we were last spring. I mean, they're going to have to negotiate a bunch of protocols for next year because it sounds like even though there's positive vaccine news, it's it's probably going to be spring or summer before enough people have access to the vaccine and get vaccinated. So it's not like we're just going to have spring training like normal next year. And, you know, there's changes to the minor league system. They've, they've reduced the number of teams. The details on that aren't 100% final yet. They've converted other franchises into different types of leagues. And, you know, we're, we're just waiting to find out what's going to happen. I, I, I will say the, the one it, none of it's official. They haven't negotiated or announced anything yet. But my assumption, and from talking to teams, they're assuming the same thing is 
spring training will not be a normal spring training next year. I think you'll have your instead of, you know, it's kind of become for everybody, all your minor leaguers come in early and are working out in January and February and hanging around the complex and getting stuff done. You know, it's not we're not going to see that because they're going to be trying to keep the major leaguers, you know, healthy so they can get the season started on time. So I think you'll have like kind of a separate major league spring training with guys on the 40 man and non-roster invitees and, you know, reduced number of staff. And then when they're done with spring training, then they'll bring the minor leaguers in. So I would you know, again, none of this is official. I would anticipate the minor league season will start roughly a month after whenever the major league season starts. That's very interesting because, you know, what we have seen, whether it's NBA or it's NHL, and the talk about the NHL where just the Canadian teams will play each other and the American team, like everybody's trying to figure out a working bubble. Baseball kind of did that in the postseason. The main question is, can you do it during the regular season? No, I don't know that you really can. I, I don't know that you're going to, like, you know, in the NBA and NHL caught somewhat of a break in that they'd played most of the regular season. The players had made most of their money. They'd satisfied most of their regular season TV contracts, and they could go, you know, go right on, you know, pretty much right in the playoffs. Uh, I don't see how in any of these leagues you're going to be able to have, you know, even if, let's say, you're playing 75% of a normal season where you can bubble guys for an entire season. Um, you know, at some point, too, uh, you know, the NBA bubbled at Disney World. Well, at some point, isn't Disney World going to want to be Disney World again? They're not going to just hang out and be there for the for the NBA's, you know, use. Like, so I don't know if that's going to be a long deal. Like, I, I don't think you can, and I think those leagues are going to battle it. I, You know, until you had mentioned it, and I'm a big hockey fan, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, but you're right, because I guess you can't travel back and forth from Canada to the U.S. right now. I hadn't even thought about how that was going to affect an NHL regular season, because now that I think about it, when they did the playoff bubble, it was it was Edmonton and Toronto, I think, right? Um, yeah. And they just kept everybody in Canada. But uh, no, I mean, you know, baseball found out the hard way that it's very tough to launch a season from the beginning in the middle of a pandemic. And now, you you know, the NFL's yeah, uh, we'll see. I, the NFL seems like it's headed towards some kind of disaster at some point, and the NHL and NBA have to start from scratch now too. It, it's not going to be easy. But you know, and even next year for the you know baseball's major league season. You know, I'm I you know, we're all kind of thinking in our minds, OK, opening day is April. Well, like, what if you can't have fans in the stands or you can't have enough fans in the stands in enough places? Are the owners going to want to play like 162? They didn't want to play. You know, they want to play as few games as possible last year. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, there's just so many uncertainties as to, you know, when things are, are going to get going. You know, it was Dan Schulman, uh, you know, longtime Major League Baseball play-by-play guy for the Toronto Blue Jays. He was calling games from Bristol, Connecticut for the World Series. And, Jim, we had him on. And he told us the story that when he when he has to head back to Toronto, he's got a quarantine for 14 days. He can't go home. Otherwise, his kids couldn't go to school. And that's where we realize, oh, wait, that's not going to work with – Major League Baseball or hockey or, you know, the Toronto Raptors and the NBA, it's, yeah. that, it's, it's not going to work for teams. Teams are not going to quarantine to go to Canada for 14 days. It's not going to happen. No, and I, and I think, like, and maybe they make exceptions for sports teams, but I don't even think, like, you or me could go to Canada right now. I, I don't think they're letting, uh, you know, just American citizens in. Like, you know, maybe, you know, Canadian citizens can travel into the U.S. and then Canada will take them back, you know, if they quarantine. But, yeah, I mean, there's 
there's a lot of logistics and you know we're you know at some point you know we'll have negotiations between the owners and the union as to what the protocols will be for next year and like i said i mean the only <laughs> the only thing i kind of feel certain about right now is that i would anticipate whenever the major league season starts the minor league season will probably start a month after just because of the spring t- training logistics you know we're not going to have the pandemic is not going to be you know contained and controlled totally by opening day in April, so you're not just going to, you know, invite, you know, to have 200 players milling around spring training, uh, you know, and a bunch of staff and a bunch of fans. I, I think they're going to keep spring training locked down as much as possible, and, and to be honest, you might even have fewer actual spring training games. I mean, maybe they just keep the players at the facilities, you know, you know, and not interacting with, you know, I don't know, but they're going to have to figure that stuff out too. Cause you know, baseball is unique in the amount of, of preseason games they play compared to the other sports. And you're going to have to, you know, just because of, you know, needing to ramp up pitchers arms and building up innings before the season starts, you, you have to do something, but maybe, maybe all that'll be self-contained. I, you know, again, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I'm not privy to those discussions, but I, I, I don't think we're going to have, it, things are not going to be back to normal for spring training. And then I think about just minor league baseball in general, you have all these guys that lost a year. We don't know when it's going to start. I mean, how different do you think minor league baseball will be going forward? Well, I mean, you know, the thing was, it was already going to be different. Because they've reduced the number of teams, there's, there's gonna, you know, the four full season teams for each organization, limits on the number of minor leaguers you can have, um, so it was already going to be different. You know, affiliations are moving all over the place as, as some franchises are being folded into different types of leagues and, and whatever. So you already had that, but it's it's going to be tough. I mean, you know, at bats and innings are, are are so vital to prospects. You know, because again, you know, baseball is unique. You know, this isn't football or basketball where you're drafted and you're immediately at the big league level. You know, especially if you're drafted out of high school, you know, you're three, four years away at least in all, in most cases. And, and that's three, four years with getting, you know, 100 innings or 150 innings or, or 400, 500 at bats each year. And that just didn't happen. Even the guys who are part of alternative camp or instructional league, which is not even, you know, close to half the prospects in a typical organization, especially alternative camp, it's only a handful of the very best prospects. Even that wasn't close to giving you what you would get in a normal year. Um, you know, I, I wonder, I, you know, I worry about the sport as a whole just from a pitching standpoint. I mean, pitching's so fragile to begin with. I don't know at the major league level what happens when you go from a 60-game season up to a 162-game season if all those extra innings are going to lead to a lot more injuries. And, you know, in the minor leagues, teams handle pitchers with care. Usually you don't try to increase the guy's innings by more than, say, 20 or 30 from year to year. Well, guys didn't pitch innings last year. I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, guys probably threw on the side in bullpens and you monitored them via Zoom, you know, how much they were throwing, but that's not the same as pitching in games and seeing how your stuff really plays against hitters who are trying to beat you. And I just don't know, like on pitchers, are we going to have a rash of, of pitching injuries at the minor league level too? If, if you even have, you know, guys going to 100 innings this year after pitching far less than that last year, at least far less game innings. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things I, I don't even think. I mean, it's good to talk about and I enjoy talking about, but, like, yeah. we're really not going to know how this is going to affect, 
know, pitching and the development of prospects, you know, probably for two or three years until we see the effects. And there's probably going to be things we aren't even anticipating that are going to come into play as well. You know, and, and I've asked this question to certain talent evaluators and they really don't have an answer. It's like, how do you do a trade now? Like if, if you're saying, if you have a major league piece that you want to move and like, let's say like Lindor and you're, you're looking at an organization and you want prospects. Well, these prospects haven't played and a lot yeah. of things change. Like how, how do you make trades now? It's tough. I mean, you know, some teams, you know, that you could, you could share video from all, no, nobody was allowed to scout alternative camp, like where some of the top prospects were, you could. You, you could have a video exchange where if you were willing to share your video, you could get video from a team. Other teams would share it, but you're limited in what you can really see on that. You know, during instructional league, 20 teams had instructional league programs. You were allowed to scout those. Um, I would assume, well, I shouldn't assume, but I, if I were a team, I would try to scout as much of that as possible just to have some knowledge. But no, I mean, you're, you're relying on reports from what you saw in the spring before things shut down or last year. Um, you know, it, it's hard. Um, you know, especially from a pitching standpoint, I, I think. I mean, you know, and I don't even know how, what, what you do. I mean, I would at least want to see what the guy looks like physically. Like, I don't know, like on a Zoom call, hey, get up, stand up and turn around for me. But, uh, but like, just to see that the guy's body hadn't changed, you know, in, in some negative way. But, yeah, it's tough. I, I don't know. I, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. I mean, like, we're still ranking prospects and teams are still ranking prospects, but a lot of it's based on – you know, information that's mostly a year old. And it's one thing for me to rank prospects. It's another thing for me to actually trade Francisco Lindor for prospects. Or if I get the wrong guys, it, it harms my franchise. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 not, it's, not, uh, it's not ideal by any means. I mean, and, and I'll throw this out there for you, too. I mean, I, I'm hoping things are kind of back to normal with college and high school baseball in the spring. Um, yeah, I think we're going to see some colleges. The Big Ten's already talked about going to conference-only schedule, and that's workable if, if a lot of the colleges at least do that. But if, let's say, for whatever reason, you know, cases are expected to go up and things are bad in January and colleges aren't back on campus and, you know, there, there's not enough money and they shut down spring sports, you know, I, I know this sounds doomsday-ish, but let's just say there's a severely curtailed college season again. I don't know what that does to the draft because the difference was last year, you know, I got asked this a lot, like how are teams drafting when the college season, the high school season was so short? Well, the answer was the year before was normal. The summer before was normal. So you had all these college summer leagues where you evaluated guys with bats and the high school showcase, you know, season was normal too. This year, this summer, the high school showcase circuit was pretty normal. I mean, there were, there were, you were limited in number of scouts, but they had a number of the events. And I feel like teams have a pretty good handle on the high school players right now. And it's almost more, more important to scout them during the summer anyway, because it's better competition when they're all facing each other. But most like the Cape Cod league, you know, the, the premier college summer league didn't exist. Um, you know, a lot of the summer leagues, there was only very sporadic play. There was no team USA and, and the teams don't have a handle on the college players very much at all. It, it's like, you got a glimpse of them in the fall and you got a glimpse of them in the spring, but if, if there's a severely curtailed college season next year, I don't know how you really evaluate college players with any degree of confidence for the draft. Wow. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's, it, it's absolutely crazy the way our business operates and how this is just, and you know, we had, we had Rob Manfred on the program 
during the playoffs. And I think he said it best. The virus will dictate how this offseason goes. No, definitely. I mean, again, I mean, the latest projections and, you know, I mean, I know depending on, you know, where you lie on this political spectrum, different people have different views of this is that with people traveling for Thanksgiving and traveling for the holidays in December, cases are probably going to go up. They're going up right now. I believe as we're talking, I think the U.S. set a record for deaths the day before attributed to coronavirus. The cases are going to go up and up and up. And if we have another you know, severe, you know, very fairly nationwide lockdown. Who knows what that does? But I, it's like I said, the the only thing I feel certain about saying right now is I think spring training is going to be kept very tight so that they can keep the major leaguers, you know, give them less exposure to other people as possible to hopefully get the season started at, you know, at least whenever they decide they're starting the season. And that then, you know, the minor leaguers will not train you know, alongside them, you know, during March, they'll come in after. So the minor league season will, you know, my guess is we'll start a month after the major league season, roughly. Let's end on this. Do you think there's going to be any big moves? Is Lindor <laughs> traded? Is Arnado <laughs> traded? Is Chris Bryant? Uh, we have no idea who's made money, who's losing money. I mean, I, do you expect any big things happening this winter? I do because. I do because I think, like, <laughs> you know, we could we, nobody has any idea how much the owners lost. And, and losses, you're talking about revenues versus profits. And, you know, when the commissioner cites debt like he did for some reason in the middle of the World Series, you know, debt can be you made a bunch of capital improvements around the ballpark like the Cubs did. It's not debt from not playing games, it's debt because you built, you know, a lot of development around Wrigley Field. You know, so you, we can all you, you could you could pull whatever numbers, and you know the owners could talk about how baseball's not profitable, which I think is BS, or you know biblical proportions. We we don't have any idea of knowing exactly what they lost, but the the one thing we do know is yes, revenues were down drastically last year. We all we all agree on that. Revenues were down, and I think because of that, you're going to have a number of teams not want to spend as much on payroll next year. Plus, again, I if, if I'm trying to project payroll for next year. How many games am I playing? How many games with fans in the stands, with a full capacity in the stands? You know, we don't even know that right now, so it's very hard to project. So I think most teams are going to be looking to trim payroll. And so, I, you know, Lindor is a free agent after the season. And I think, you know, the Indians, rather than paying him a lot of money in arbitration, if they could get a deal they like, would trade him. I would think, you know, you just saw the Cubs non-tender Kyle Schwarber. I don't think they want to pay Chris Bryant. 20 plus million in arbitration and they probably aren't going to be able to or or I should say afford him they're going to say they can't afford him after this year when he's a free agent so he's probably gone anyway so I could see those guys getting traded and if you're the Rockies and you don't have a very good team and Arenado's making a bunch of money and somebody will take that off your hands um, I think he'll do that so I, I do think we will see some trades um, you know I, I, I would bet those three guys you mentioned uh, I'll put the over-under on the number of those three players specifically get traded. I'll put it at one and a half. Um, I, I think we'll see at least one of them and maybe all two or all three of them traded. Um, you know, but it, like you, you mentioned, it's a little more difficult to do because, you know, you don't have as great a feel for the prospects. But I, I think you're going to, I think when these, when guys get traded in general, if we see some trades that people will be shocked at what guys are getting traded for. Cause I think, I think these trades are going to be dictated more by money than by the talent you're getting in return. 
Hey, great stuff as always. We always appreciate when you're on the program. Happy holidays. Be safe and let's talk soon. Yeah, you guys be safe too. I hope I was not too pessimistic there. But, uh, uh, yeah, let's hope we get back to it. I know you guys are talking to uh, Mark Kotze in a little bit. And Mark Kotze, when I was on the college beat for Baseball America, was my absolute favorite player to cover in the, in the college ranks of all time. Loved covering Mark Kotze. Well, uh, I played baseball at San Jose State, and so I played against that Cal State Fullerton team that won the national title. That's we, the best college team of all time in my mind. Like, we uh, were, like they're we were, great. We were the last team to beat them. We beat them. You might have been. You might have been the only unranked team that beat them all year too. <laughs> it was like we beat them on a Sunday, and then they didn't lose again. It was a, that that team was and. and Worst part about it was I walked Kotze to get to the first baseman. Uh, and with DJ Mark, Olson? Was DJ, was that the guy's name? Yeah, the left-hander. The left-hander. Yeah, I think so. I don't know why I can remember stuff from that, from that far back. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. But, yeah, you walked you, you walked Kotze. It was so probably I, a smart move. I got my parents and my girlfriend in the stands up from San Diego, and I gave up a grand slam. Oh, at no. Old, at old Kevin Costner Field. There you go. Aggie Garrido, George Horton, coaching that team. That that was a great team. So, yeah. but I and I, and I when I was at Baseball America, I mean they, they I, I did some research. You know, they they lost almost no games at home. I think you were the only unranked team to beat them all year. And, and my conclusion was it was that was the best college baseball team of all time. So so giving up a grand slam, don't feel too bad about that. <laughs> I still sleep at night, Jim. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> take care, buddy. We'll talk soon. Okay. Take care. And we will have Mark Kotze on the program today. What's it with you and former A's players hitting home runs off you in college? It was Giambi, Kotze, who else? Kotze didn't get, he didn't get me because I was gutless and walked him. <laughs> it just Mark uh... Kotze, Mark Kotze. All right. This guy would go like three for four. And then come in from center field and close the game out. You want to talk about value of a player. So he's your best hitter and he's your closer. I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, there's, he was, he was the golden spikes player of the year. I mean, he was better than everybody else, but it's the same about how valuable you are center field. So premium position, hitting in the middle of the order, and you come in and close the game out. That's what they should do with Otani. Yeah, he needs a position. I agree. <clears throat> he needs to be in the lineup because he's an exciting hitter, and we when we saw him actually pitch, he was very solid, in my opinion. I thought he was uh, prior to Tommy John surgery. Let me put that uh, tidbit in there. But yeah, I, I I like the idea of having him come in and pitch, you know, play a position, then come in and pitch. Uh, we've seen the Rays do interesting things with the way they manipulate that all the rules with having guy pitch, then have him play first base, then putting back in the pitch again. Uh, I'm sure the Angels and and Joe Madden, who's a very smart guy, could figure something out with what they want to do with Otani because you need him in the lineup, and you also want his arm coming out of the bullpen or as a starter. I I, I think the days of a starter for him. Are closing, you know, getting close to closing time because uh, we saw how bad he was this past season. 
Remember that, that start against the A's where he what, did he even make it out of the first inning? He only got like what one out. It wasn't. I mean, he just he struggled, and yeah, it's coming off of Tommy John, but um, wow, Mark Kotze and Shohei Otani comparison. I didn't think I'd be hearing about that today. But one other thing, how many? No, no, let me give you. The, let me okay, give you this. Right. So in Mark Kotze's time at Cal State Fullerton, their record was one forty nine and only forty one losses. What do you think his career batting average was in college? 375. 404. I think you've told me that before. 375. 404 for his career. Not one year. For his career, he hit 400. He's uh, Ted and Williams. At, and, and at that point, we were the number one baseball conference. I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about Long Beach State, Fullerton State, Fresno State, UNLV, uh, you name it, we were the number one conference in major in, in college baseball, hands down. And he hit 404 for his career. When you know, how we always talk about how many Hall of Famers we've had on this program. I think the thing we need to look at next is how many Golden Spikes winners have we had on? You got Kotze, Trevor Bauer. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at the list of guys that won the Golden Spikes and see how many of them have been on with us. Oh, that's interesting. I forgot Trevor Bauer won that. Yeah, 2011. See, I'll pull up the list. See if they put up the the winners each year. As we wait for the great Raymond Fossey to call. Um, It's a a Thursday. It's a Fossey day. Uh, Will Clark, so there's three. Uh, We haven't had Terry Francona yet, but I will get him. Um, Well, I'll do my best. Terry Francona was a Golden Spikes Award winner? 1980 at Arizona playing first base. Ah, do we have have we had Phil Nevin on? We have not. Um, Pat Burrell's on here. Uh, Mark Pryor, which I'm, I think we could get him because now that he's the uh, Dodgers yeah. pitching coach, there'd be a reason. Um, let's see. I forgot Mike Zanino won the uh, Golden Spikes at Florida. Uh, so it looks like three so far. Kyle Lewis from uh, Seattle, the Mariners' top guy. They're probably their best player. He won it playing for Mercer. <laughs> so, to some of the guys who win the last, like, 15 years or so, you got Gore, Alex Gordon, Tim Lincecum, David Price, Strasburg, um, Harper, Bauer, Zanino, Chris Bryant, A.J. Reed, Benintendi, Kyle Lewis, Brandon McKay, who's a, um, a guy that can switch guy. Vaughn and uh, Adley Rushman from the from the uh, Oregon State now Baltimore Orioles. Uh, he's here. Are you ready for his open? Wednesday is known as Hump Day for everyone during the work week, but on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing: it's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner. A's analyst on NBC California and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Hi, Ray. Tommy, how are you? you? You asked Cody a question. Are you ready? Cody is always ready. Cody is is as on top of his game as anybody is. So uh, for you to ask him that question, I'm shocked because he is. I'm doing fine. How are you doing? How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was uh, very interesting. We went down to uh, Santa Barbara. Because my kids wanted to look at the campus of uh, UC Santa Barbara. So 
actually being away from home and and uh, being out and about and getting some fresh air. It, it was nice. How was yours? <laughs> well, it was wonderful because uh, fortunately, <clears throat> our daughter Nikki and her husband and children hosted Thanksgiving. Lots of turkey legs. Uh, our youngest daughter Lindsay, her husband, and uh, children came up, so we had a nice outdoor socially distancing and fresh air, but it was great to sit there and do absolutely nothing. It was great. I mean, it couldn't have been better. You got you got your turkey leg, though. Oh, you know what? My daughters know that their dad has to have a turkey leg. So, yeah, it, it, it was done, a done deal. Even didn't even have to ask for it because I knew it was going to be there. And, of course, the uh, the other kids had theirs as well. So there were pl- there were plenty of turkey legs. I felt badly for the turkeys, but uh, I, I, I did get my leg, so I'm happy for that. You know, Ray, there's a lot of good players right now that are sitting oh, out oh, there oh. waiting for a job. Like, like, what do you think this is? Like, if you're a front office guy, I mean, he, I mean, it's like a buffet out there for you right now. You know, I was thinking about that as well, and I'm glad you brought it up, Tony, because, you know, what Matt Olson and Tony Kemp did, and I think there was one person – uh, maybe an agent who said there would be such uh, maybe the largest ever non-tender uh, contracts in all of baseball. And, and that possibly could have been, but it seems like there were a whole bunch of players who jumped the gun and said, I'm going to take an agreed upon amount. And like Matt Oates and Tony Kemp, you know, there was a concern that Tony Kemp might be non-tendered and he signed as did Matt Oates. And Matt Oates not going anywhere, but but, you know, to sign a contract prior to that deadline, it really helps uh, the, the ownership. It helps the players. And, you know, we've talked before, Tony, and I think this being this 2020 season, having been a, a year in which you really don't know if, let's say you're arbitration eligible, and it's a panel of three now. When I went through it, it was one arbitrator, and that was it. You know, his decision was, was whatever happened now. From what I understand, unless it's changed again, it's at least it's three. But you don't know if you go to arbitration what those arbitrators are going to look at as far as the 2020 season. Uh, I heard some agents are going to look at the totals and uh, magna, uh, uh, magna, uh, multiply it by the number, what, 2.7, because that's kind of the number you look at because of the season being shortened. But I, I think there's a lot of players that said, I'm not going to take a chance. And I agree with them. You know, you, you have to be happy have a contract because they're what 230 free agents right now 230 of a potential 750 man roster for it's more now with the 26 so add 26 to that but you know that's a lot of players who are free a lot of players whose agents are trying to get them jobs that it may come down to i, I remember Gio gonzalez that came down to spring training before the covid uh pandemic you know, and he changed agencies because, you know, unless you're a top free agent, uh, someone, I mean, you, you can count them on one hand, the guys at JT Riamuto, uh, George Springer, uh, to name a couple, and the other couple kind of slipped my mind. But, but they're out there as free agents. They're going to get their job. They're going to get their money. But how much is it going to be? How long is the contract going to be? But besides those four or five are top free agents, What's going to happen to the bulk of the free agents? But I agree with you from the standpoint of the front offices. Now, granted, they lost a lot of money in 2020. And who knows what's going to happen in 21? They could lose 
as much, if not more. But I think the, the signing is going to be down. But going back to my original statement, seeing that Matt Olson signed and Tony Kemp signed, him, mainly Matt Olson, I'm happy that he did. I think the A's have to be ecstatic that he did. And there's nothing wrong with what he got for a three-year player. Uh, $5 million guaranteed no matter how many games you play. I, I, I kind of like that. You mentioned Springer. Ray, if you're, if, you're, if you're him, is this the time to get away from the Astros and just, get, just go to a new team? You never have to deal with all the fans ragging you. Uh, is it just time for him to get out? Yeah, that's a good question, Tony. Again, a very good question. Um, not surprised that you would ask that as well. But, you know, there's kind of two sides to it. On one hand, he's been in that organization. He's comfortable. Uh, he surrounds himself with a good lineup. And I think, you know, even you go through the lineup to the bottom part of the lineup, those guys can get on base for him. He leads off the game, obviously. He has a lot of leadoff home runs. But I, I think as his at-bats come around, he has guys on base. Now, We've also talked about that. Let's say he goes to, I see the Toronto Blue Jays are, are their one team that, uh, and, and pardon the interruption in the background, our gardener just showed up. So if you hear the blower, those blowers are good news, bad news. The good news, they, they expedite things. The bad news, they sound very loud. But anyway, um, let, let's say he goes to the Blue Jays where there's talk that maybe, you know, they're after him. Uh, the Phillies are, look like they're going to spend some money. The Mets, of course, are going to spend a lot of money with the new owner. But, you know, when you go to a new club, there's pressure that, okay, you're the free agent. Now, you should be looking at it as, I got my money, I have a long-term contract, I'm going to play my game. But there's that built-in pressure as a player that you go into that thinking about, okay, there is a certain amount of pressure. Now, if he stays with the Astros, and, you know, he's, at, he's really at the forefront because they've got a career coming up. Uh, they just signed out, two-week contract kicks in. Uh, Michael Brantley's out there and seems to be healthy, but you start looking at guys at a certain age, how many years can they expect to get? How many years are our owners going to give them? But, you know, it, it's kind of twofold. And, and uh, you know, we talked before about Kelly Jansen when uh, um, Justin Turner told him, you stay here, everybody loves you. You go someplace else, there's a lot of pressure. And I think as much as players want to test the free agent market, they have to realize there's a lot of pressure put on them by the team that they sign with to make sure that, okay, you're receiving this contract, a lot of money, a lot of years, and we're expecting you to be the guy. Whereas in, in Houston, he's just another player because of the lineup they already have. So it's kind of twofold, but you know, the, the one part you bring up about getting out of that situation and as fans do come back in the stands, uh, they're going to hear it. Uh, they got a, they got a pass in 2020 fans. Don't forget. People around baseball don't forget. And it, it's going to happen because people are going to remind, be reminded of it by the media. Um, you know, the people in Houston, they won't say anything. But even those fans are a little bit upset because they had to pay higher ticket prices based on a world championship and going to the World Series, you know, back-to-back seasons, two out of three, three out of four years. So, you know, there, there are a lot of tangibles in there. But I, I think more than anything, if a player has a chance to become a free agent, he wants to see what's out there, and I would hope that as he does experience that first time being as a free agent, that he realizes that how much money does it take? How much money do I want to get? Because usually as a free agent, somebody with the status of George Springer, he's going to command a long contract. He's going to command a big uh, contract as far as money-wise, 
but how much do you need versus how comfortable can you be if you stay where you've been and had a lot of success? Well, and I, and I think about like you and your career where you came to Oakland and won championships. I just wonder in a year where there's probably going to be a lot of one-year deals, like yeah. why why wouldn't you say, you know what, I got a handful of teams that I think can I can win the World Series. I'm only going to sign a one-year deal. I think the A's are one of those teams. I mean, w- would that be something you'd be looking at as a player saying, I'm going to do a one-year deal, let everything kind of reset, then go back into free agency, but I'm going to go somewhere where I can win now. Well, I think winning is huge, and it should be the first thing in a player's mind. Uh, granted, the, the agent, I think, has a lot to do with that. I can get you an X number of years, an X uh, amount of money, because the more money I get you, the more money I get as, a, as an agent. But I, I think from the player's standpoint, if he can go to a team that does have a chance to win, that's going to be good. But let's not forget, Tony, uh, the age factor. Because as players, now when you hit 30, while it used to be experience, now you're old. And you start thinking about getting a long-term contract at 30 that takes you into your mid to late 30s. I don't know that there are going to be a lot of clubs that want to do that because the analytics show that the older you are, uh, at least that's what I've been told by the, the analytical people, that as time goes, your, your uh, success diminishes. And, you know, do we want to pay you now? two or three years and, and bite the bullet three, you know, years, three, four, five, six, or whatever it might be, or four, five, and six to get you to help now. I mean, look at our Pujols with the Angels. They've gotten one three game series against the Kansas city Royals in the time that he has been there. That's the only postseason that he, that they have gotten out of a $250 million contract. And I remember when he signed that, that Artie Marino, first of all, thanked the network for allowing him to have the money to be able to sign him. But they came out and said, we hope that what he can do can help us the first five years because we know as he gets older, uh, he, he may not be able to produce like he can in those first five. So they're in the back end of that contract right now. I will say that Albert Pujols is as best of a player staying in condition and wanting to win as anybody I've ever seen with a long-term contract. And I think that's something you appreciate about Albert Bell, that he does want to win just like Mike Trout, and they got Anthony Rendon. They, they got a lot of good players, but you and I have talked about pitching, how important that is, and you need to get it. But, you know, to your point about a one-year contract, you know, in the case of George Springer um, and Michael Brantley, you're looking at that magical age. Do I take the chance now of getting a five-year contract and, and getting some good money versus taking a one-year contract, hoping to win a championship, getting the reset, and going forward? Maybe that extra year costs you in the long run as far as getting the type of contract that you can get now versus waiting because of what's happening in the baseball world. So it, it's kind of a mixed bag. But, you know, Tony, I'll be honest with you. I'm more concerned just like I was and have been with the concession people at the Coliseum and so many people throughout baseball being laid off. I'm as concerned about those players who are not in that top echelon who are going to be fighting for a job maybe a spring training invite, hope to make the ball club. And there are going to be a lot of those players. But from the, from the uh, ownership standpoint, general manager standpoint, it's going to be a boom for them to be able to pick and choose whomever they want. And if, if those are the players, I think, if I'm one of those players, not a Springer or uh, one of those other players that maybe can get the big contract, maybe I take a one-year deal with a chance to win, hopefully surround myself with some good players 
have a good season, go back on the market, and then benefit at that point more of a, t- a top echelon type of a player versus right now where there's so many that are not in that category. You know, right. That's why I think like everybody really is in play and, and you know, always looking at it through the A's uh, perspective. I mean, you know, why wouldn't you, if you're a player that you're just looking to win a championship and you only want to sign a one-year deal. I mean, that's it. The, the A's fit you perfectly. No, absolutely. I, I agree hundred percent. And I, I think that's why the A's are in the perfect situation to be able to get the players that they want to help them. Granted, they might lose some players, uh, but you know some of the players that are, that are free agents that are out in the market, maybe they'll come back and say, uh, "Hey, will you take me back?" Because maybe they're not going to be able to get what they think they can because of the diluted market as far as getting the contract. You know, it, it's not diluted as far as the players are concerned, the number of players, but diluted in a sense where maybe the money's not there. But no, I agree with you that uh, if, if you're out for one year under the circumstances. Um, I, I think it's a perfect place to land. Um, you know, we we have to look at Adrian Beltre, and again, mentioning him before, where he signed the one-year deal with Boston after being in Seattle for five years and doing nothing, and look what he got with the Rangers, and he's a Hall of Famer first ballot, you know, once he's eligible. After five years, <laughs> having played more than 10 years in our discussion a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, uh, you know, that, that's a good point, Tony, and, and I think – you know, it's going to be interesting uh, going into spring training through this offseason just to see how players and especially front offices handle the players, the glut of players that are going to be out there just to see how many are going to be willing to take the one-year deal that you talk about and then uh, kind of reset hopefully after the 21 season going forward and still be young enough and have a good enough season that they could project them to be a good asset with a ball club for years to come and sign them to the most of your deal that they're ultimately wanting now that they may not get. Jim Callis from MLB.com just joined us, Ray. And he talked about what he's hearing is if we do have spring training, that probably you'll have the big leaguers show up and then the big leaguers would leave and then you'd bring the minor league guys in because you're trying to keep the big leaguers as safe as possible. So, like, I don't even know what an invite to spring training will even look like. <laughs> uh, that's a great point, which which goes back to the players. Because let's say you come down to spring training uh, to the exhibition season and spring training, and let's say you have your 40-man roster, and, and based on what Jim said and what you just said, I would think the 40-man roster would be invited and, of course, 15, 14 of those uh, go to the minor leagues, so they would have a, uh, a jump on their minor league system. But then you bring in your minor league or minor league players, you know, they'd have to push their season back, assuming there's a minor league season, because they typically show up, let's say, March 15th, and they have an abbreviated spring training generally anyway, and then start the first part of April, play, you know, the, uh, the five bucks and then September call-ups, which that's not happening anymore, but you know, they're changed in that regard. But, you know, I, I envision, and I was talking to Joey Libertori um, on the broadcast side that, that for radio, you know, I could see that, you know, we might broadcast more games in spring training, assuming everything works out, but stay at uh, Mesa and, you know, the other play, other teams do the same thing. So there's, there's, not travel. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe this vaccine is coming out. 
maybe that's going to change. We're, we're still four months away from actual spring training or three months. If you look at uh, December, January, February, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but let's be hopeful that so many things change that we can get back to some normalcy that uh, what we're talking about now is a moot point and they can go forward. And there's going to be a reduction of the minor league teams. Anyway, we've already seen that and saw that as a possibility or actually a reality prior to the 2020 season. And because of the pandemic, they, they shut down completely and they had the alternate sites, but um, you know, minor league teams are very important to major league teams because those players need to play so that if somebody gets hurt at the major league level, they can come up, step in and help that team be successful. And I know talking to Keith Lippman, longtime uh, director of player advice, well, director of player development, he said the main objective in the minor leagues is to get the players ready to get to the big leagues and to help the big league team win because that is what it's all about. So let's hope that that scenario that uh, you just mentioned, that if it does happen, you, you know what that does also, Tony? That means that the, the players, let, let's say the team that's going to be going to Oakland, the Oakland A's team, they're going to have to start playing more innings and more bats in the early part of spring training than they normally have. Because if you have your 40 man roster and you have 20 to 30 spring training invites, and then you have the minor league camp that's getting ready uh, to bring in a certain amount of players so that the players who you know at the A's know are going to be, be part of the Oakland A's team that they don't play as much early and they start to get their bats and innings pitch in the latter part of spring training, gearing up for the regular season. So if, if that scenario that you mentioned, it changes everything with regard to how much these players are going to play. And that could be a difficult situation as well, just, just because of that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm still trying to put my arms around you know, what minor league baseball is going to look like, when's it going to start, and how is this going to affect our game long-term, Ray? Because, I mean, as of right now, you've got a bunch of pitchers that have not actually thrown in real games in over a year. Yeah, yeah exactly. And by the time they do pitch, again, it will be closer to two because you take an offseason. Let's, let's say they pitched in late August. They go through the offseason. They miss a whole year. And then, so you really, really, you're looking about two years, Tony. And so uh, that's a, that's a bad, bad situation for pitchers. But you know, I, I think the biggest burden would be in the scenario that you mentioned, as far as let's say you you look at the Oakland A's staff of 13 pitchers, are they going to have to pitch more because the minor leaguers, the spring training invitees, are not there? It's just the 40 man roster, and and you know, you know, it could you, you'd be concerned probably about. Um, maybe injuring pitchers, injuring players by having them have to play more or more. Maybe they shorten spring training, but typically pitchers and catchers, pitchers in particular will show up early to get their arms ready. So as the position players come in, they get some live at bats. They start playing the exhibition games. Maybe a hitter gets two ABs. Maybe a, a pitcher throws 30 pitches and he's done. And, you know, kind of build up to that hundred pitch mark as uh, Scott Emerson had talked about getting ready for opening day. That's under the normal circumstances. But, you know, last year it started out okay, but in mid-March it shut down. And then we had to wait for however long it was to have spring training 2.0 or, you know, whatever it was in July getting ready for season. So it was starting all over again. So it's, it's, just, it's just horrible, to be honest. And let's hope that um, 
even though there seems to be an uptick in the cases and things that are happening across the world, that uh, something can happen where we can get back to some uh, the normalcy because there are just too many things that are out there that, you know, again, minor league baseball is important. There's no doubt minor league baseball is important. And alternate side, you're playing against yourself. You're playing against your own teammates. You don't want to pitch inside for fear of hurting somebody if you're pitching to a teammate. But, um, you know, if, if you're playing in the minor leagues, you're playing competitive baseball, you get the call up, which the excitement is there that, um, Fran Reardon, the AAA manager, gets to call you in and say, hey, you're going to the big leagues. And, you know, that's exciting there. And uh, while it's diminishing his ball club, he knows he's helped that player get to the big leagues to help the Oakland A's be successful. You know, that's been baseball for as long as we've known baseball. And that, of course, has changed, changed as of 2020. And let's hope it does, does not change anymore going into 21 and, and beyond that. But uh, I agree with you, Tony. It's uh, – it, it's something that affects the, the amateur draft. It affects colleges and whether the players come out or not after the junior year in a four-year school or, or players that come out after the sophomore year as a junior college player signing out of high school. You know, it affects everybody in a domino effect. And it, it just uh, – you, you wonder with everything going on why people are depressed and, and wondering, you know, what, what's it going to be like in the future? And you just have to hope for the best. And, and prepare for the worst. But I, I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping that, you know, we have fans in the stands. I'm hoping that fans can come out and watch their team, get back to cheering and having all those good things happen. And uh, to me, that's what baseball is going to be about. You know, you talk about building up innings. Uh, I remember talking to your old teammate, Raleigh Fingers, because I read this and I was like, this can't be true. And he verified it. Back when the ball club was in Kansas City and he was a young pitcher, he threw a complete game in spring training. I'm like, what? And I asked him, like, hey, I was trying to make the ball club. Can you imagine a guy throwing a complete game in spring training? Uh, no, because even during the regular season, you very rarely have a complete game unless a guy's got a no-hitter. <laughs> no, I can't even imagine that. And, you know, the way it's structured, and you've had Scott Emerson on, I mean, I guarantee if you just talked to Emo and said, okay, Emo, normal, normal spring training, how are you going to uh, prepare your pitchers, starters and relievers to get ready for opening day? And he would, I'm sure, I know he's going to say, okay, first game out for a starter, 25 pitches, and then gradually build up, gradually build up every fifth day, every sixth day or whatever. And the relievers come in early to face the, the top players because, again, as, this, as the spring training begins, you have the, the minor league players and you don't want your – big-time relievers facing minor league players, while it helps them because they usually can get them out, you'd rather have them face the major league hitters that they're going to be facing. So that's kind of how spring training works in getting pitchers ready. So to hear Raleigh say that, uh, but, you know, Raleigh, nobody thought about it. I mean, I look at Gaylord Perry had 29 complete games in 1972. 29. I mean, you could, you could take all of baseball in two years and might not get 29 complete games. And, you know, so it, it's a different time of baseball. But uh, in today's world, in a five-man rotation, a 13-man pitching staff, minimal, uh, you're not going to see in spring training ever a pitcher pitch a complete game. It's, it's really – there's no reason for it to be a, number one. And, and number two, you've got so many pitchers that you need, need to get work in. You don't want to invite somebody to spring training as a pitcher and tell him he's not going to pitch. You know, so – 
but I, I didn't know that about Raleigh, but I'm not surprised because he had the type of arm that he could do it and the mentality to do it because if he's trying to make a ball club, then so be it. But uh, that, that is astounding that, that he, he did that. I just can't imagine. Of course, of course, you know, at the time, Tony, I guarantee they didn't count pitches either. No. Yeah. <laughs> they, didn't have, they didn't have a pitch counter. Did, did they count pitches when you fished in college? Yeah. But it, did they the, really? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't care so much, right? I mean, now it's yeah. like, oh my God, he's had a hundred pitches. It's panic yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's amazing. And, and you know, Doctor Elliot Schwartz, a great uh, physician, told me about a book, and it's called The Arm. It's written by Jeff Passan. Inside the billion dollar mystery of the most valuable commodity in sports. And it's amazing the number of, and I mean, the picture show, show, the cover shows a picture with this uh, scar on his right elbow and Tommy John surgery, you know. So, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. And so there's that certain amount of protection that you want to have for your pitchers that you, you, I mean, you know that they're going to be good. You know that at times they're going to break down, but you don't want to be the reason that they're breaking down by overworking them. And you remember when Sonny Gray against the Texas Rangers had a no-hitter into the top of the eighth inning, and um, uh, Raul um, Rua, Rua got a base hit, and it was the biggest sigh of relief that Sunday Gray came out of the game immediately after giving up the base hit because you had Bob Melvin and Kurt Young at the time saying, oh, no, we've yeah. got to send him back. You, you, we've got to send him back out because he's got a no-hitter going. And, and, and you know, Rule, I get this base hit with the Rangers, and I said, there's the biggest sigh of relief right now with a manager and pitching coach in all of baseball, you know, because they could take him out. And that's why Bob Feller is the only pitcher ever to com- pitch a complete game on opening day in Major League Baseball. The only ever. So it's, it's not going to happen because especially with the pitch counts and all that stuff, I mean, a hundred pitches, uh, you know, Nolan Ryan, as he'd gotten his mid forties, he was throwing 150, 160 pitches, you know, and throwing 98 miles an hour. So times have changed and we adapt to the changes, but it's the protecting of the players and the pitchers, especially that pitching coaches really are thinking about as they go into spring training, getting them ready. And that's why these Tommy John surgeries, you know, you're looking at a, at a pitcher that's out, what, minimum 14 to 18 months, depending on the rehab, and they, they take it slowly. They do not rush anybody back after you've had Tommy John surgery, and, and you know, there's a reason for that. So, um, you know, it, it's just a different world, Townie, and that's what we have to look at. But I agree with you that this is a different winter. It's totally different. And I'm glad you and I are talking here with Cody there and talking baseball as we do weekly, which I'm very happy to be a part of instead of trying to wonder where am I going to be playing next year? Because, because there's a, so many players out there. You know, every year as I go through my binders, man, I'm looking at this. Oh, my gosh, look at this. You know, you start deleting the, the players from a team and, and putting them in another binder that uh, now they're pitching or playing with. You know, it happens every winter. But I think this is the winter where it's really going to show up. If, if all the rules and regulations and changes happen in spring training 21, then we may be seeing a lot of players without a job going into spring training, wondering what's going to be happening because, because, you know, they didn't prepare for this. Most players are young and and they're thinking that I'm going to have a job. I'm going to be able to play. And uh, so, you know, 
It's, it's a different world we live in, Tony. All right, Ray. Be well, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Who's your, your next guest just called in. Who is it? It's uh, Mark Kotze. Hey, the new third base coach. We didn't even talk about him. Congratulate him on my behalf. Well, he's he can hear you. You can tell him yourself. Kotze, are you there? I am, yes. Hey, congratulations, buddy. Appreciate it. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy you're yeah, on the third base coaching line. And you know what? You'll hear me. You'll hear me say it's a thankless job. You know that it's a thankless uh, job I, because you. <laughs> I, know I, will be thank, I will be thanking you for your efforts because I know you're going to be very good, and I'm happy for you. I'm happy you're back in the organization, and I hope your daughter is doing well. That's the most important thing. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it. That's to you, my friend. Look forward to seeing you soon. Tony, take care, buddy. Cody, right, take care. Uh, take care. And Mark Kotze just joins us here on A's Cast Live. How are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. I'm doing well. Just uh, surviving and, uh, you know, making the best of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just so such bizarre times. But, you know, as Ray said, congratulations. Uh, how did this go down to where you said you wanted to be the third base coach? Well, obviously, you got to be asked. And, uh, you know, they, they approached me and asked me if I was, uh, was ready to engage full-time. Um, you know, obviously this last season with the, the shortened season and the, the bubble that was created um, in my role, I, I did serve a full-time role uh, with the staff. Uh, though it was an abbreviated season, it was probably one of the most difficult seasons uh, I've experienced in, in the 23 years of, of professional baseball. And, uh, you know, at the end of it, I, I assessed um, – you know, several, several things, and, and one of those things was uh, whether I wanted to, to get back in full-time, and, and as the A's approached uh, me with that proposition, um, I felt I was ready to, uh, to make that full commitment, and, uh, and here I am. You know, you're so right. I mean, I, I, I know it was only 60 games. But it felt like it was like 180 games. I, I mean, it's, it's amazing <laughs> how long the season felt. Yeah, it really did. And, and you know, we, we, we can't cry about it too much um, because we were blessed enough to, to be out there and, and to people are going through this period of time in their life where they're not given that opportunity. And, and so we took advantage of that opportunity, even though it was hard, uh, it was still fulfilling. And, and I think we also brought, you know, some joy to, to uh, the baseball world and, and, and you know, the fans that uh, enjoy our game so much. You know, a lot of people don't understand how much work you have to put in as a third base coach because you've got to know every single outfielder's arm. you got to know how the ballpark plays. you got to know the bounces. You've got to know the, the speed of your own runners. Uh, there's a lot of feel that goes into that. Talk about just how much studying goes into being a great third base coach. Yeah, you know, I've been blessed to be around quite a few great third base coaches. One uh, that you'll be familiar with from the Bay Area, who was probably one of the best giant third base coaches, was Tim Flannery, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, Glenn Hoffman's another name um, that, that I was blessed to have as my third base coach. So there's been some guys that I'm going to mentor under and, uh, and, and utilize uh, some of their tools. Um, but it is. It's a lot of studying. It's a lot of planning. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, how much, judging, 
you know, it's one thing when you're constantly looking at video of other players, but to really know the speed of your players, I've always thought that, you know, you know, let's face it, Marcus Simeon's different from Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman's different for, from Olsen and Pender. And it's just knowing your own player's speed and, and how are they running on that day matters. <laughs> it does. You know, sometimes third base coaches get booed when they stop someone uh, when, when they're possibility of, 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 you know, sending them with a close play. And, and it's really the underlying uh, stop sign is from an injury or, uh, or, or a, a sore hamstring or, or, or whatnot. So there are times when you definitely uh, have other factors, outside factors that influence decision-making at third base. But I think the biggest thing, Tony, is, you know, it, it's actually you're playing the game again. And, and it's been seven years since I've been on the field and in and, there. And uh, it's the closest position I think you can get to, to playing the game, and you have to prepare like you're playing the game. And uh, so, so a lot of that work is done uh, pre-pitch. It's done prior to the ball being put in play and, and understanding situation, understanding score, understanding who's on deck. Uh, when all of those things are processed before the pitch happens, hopefully that makes it a little bit of an easier decision uh, when they're when they're coming full speed at you, and you need to decide whether or not to send them or or, or to hold them. So it will be my first time at third base. So uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot of little nuances I need to learn, and and uh, you know, thankfully, hopefully, we'll be in a full uh, schedule for spring training to allow me to do that. You know, it was uh, it was really long time ago when we. When we saw the the Angels went from first to third as good as anybody, and you saw just how many extra runs by being maybe not the most athletic, but fundamentally being great base runners, the Angels were able to score a lot of runs without having to hit the home run or get extra base hits. You remember playing against them, what that was like? I do, yeah. They definitely put a lot of pressure on the defense, and, and that's something that comes from, uh, you know, their – their approach um, and, and also, um, you know, their character. Um, they, they utilize that as a strength of their ball club and, and they really got after it. And, and I think that there is, um, as you mentioned, um, a lot of positive to, to going first to third and, and standing on third base with one out as opposed to standing on second when, you know, obviously there's, there's so many different ways to score from third base. You know, when I, when I think about Bob Melvin, uh, now the longest tenured manager in the game, and you've now been around him, what's it like to work for Bob Melvin, to be around him and his leadership? It's great. I couldn't be more blessed to, to have this opportunity to, uh, to fulfill another role on his staff. Um, being with him since 2016 as his bench coach uh, for a year and a half and, and then transitioning to uh, quality control coach and now to third base coach, um, I've been, I've had a great opportunity uh, to stay here and to learn from Bob and and uh, and just to you know watch how he works and and as you said he's the longest tenured manager in in, in the major leagues and and that's uh, deserving and, and fitting for sure. You know the one thing that that I'm really looking forward to and I can't wait for when we get this thing started once again. You know, you win 97 games, two straight years. You have the shortened season. You win the division. And all the players that I've talked to this offseason, they just got a bad taste of their mouth the, the way the season ended. I just the expectations, it's like this. If this team now can really look at it, can't you say and go, you know, it's about winning the World Series. 
It definitely is, and and that that mindset uh, is there with these with this group. As you talked about, this group is a special group. They've been together for a while now. Uh, they do definitely believe in themselves, and 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 we're disappointed uh, to fall short of their goal this season. Um, but I know that they'll come into spring training ready to prepare and 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 to uh, to take that same approach and have that mentality that they want to be World Series champions. You know, I know you're also going to be working working on the defense. Uh, just just talk us through that with all the shifting and all the different things that that people do. What what you're going to be doing with the defense? Yeah, you know, I think we'll we'll talk about that in depth as we get closer to spring training. Uh, Bob and I've had two conversations, and uh, you know, there's there's just so many of us on the staff that that are multiversed and and uh, you know, utilizing the information that comes down and and prep prepping ourselves and really being on the same page with, with not just the infielders, but, but with the pitching staff and, and, and tying in individual matchups uh, collectively to, to, you know, batter pitcher and where we position our defense and, and, you know, how we want to utilize our athletes. You know, we have two of the best corner corner infielders in the game right now that really shrink the diamond. So um, there'll be a lot of time and a lot of prep uh, throughout spring training to, uh, to get to really dive into, uh, to the analytics of it, but also just to our athleticism and how we utilize these athletes to be successful and, and, and to really be at the top of the league and in uh, and defensive run saves would, would be our goal. You know, when you guys look, look at it, and I know it's changed over the years, but so much shifting going on, do you think it's important to go with what your best is as a pitcher or is it better to pitch or to shift? Well, that's a question for Scott Emerson, who's our pitching coach. But I, I, from my standpoint, if I was, you know, if I was to dictate it, it's to pitch to the, the pitcher's strength, obviously. Um, you know, utilize their strength and their batter pitcher matchups to get get that hitter out, and uh, and we'll align behind them to 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 the hitter's strengths and try to take away or, or make a hitter, um, you know, do what he doesn't want to do or doesn't like to do, and uh, and take away their strength. Let's end on this. We had we had Jim Callis on from MLB.com, and he covered you in college, and he called you earlier today on this show. He says you're the best college baseball player he ever saw, and we went back and looked at your numbers because I played against you at San Jose State. You hit 404 for your career. I mean, when you look back playing for Cal State Fullerton, winning the national championship, your guys' record was like 149 to 41 while you were there. What was your time like? Because it was truly magical. No, it was. I think that's the right word. It was magical. Um, you know, I felt like looking back on my career in college, I, I was walking on the moon. Um, you know, from the time that I got my first start, which which was in my middle of my freshman year, um, I really didn't look backwards. And, and, and uh, I enjoyed uh, not only just three great years of college, but – built a lot of relationships uh, from that time there at Cal State Fullerton. And, uh, and you know, I watched a video the other night of, of our a legend, Augie Garrido, talking about our 1995 team and, and our mentality and, and, uh, and the group itself. And it was really just, you know, it, it brought back a lot of good memories. And uh, college was a great time. It was a great opportunity for me in my life and, uh, and one that I cherish. I, I was trying to tell Cody and our audience, like, you got to realize this guy's going three for four, hitting a home run, and then he's coming in from center field and closing the game out. And I was just thinking, 
now that we've kind of accepted that there may be some two-way players, do you think you could have played outfield and been a closer on, on a regular basis? Well, that's, that's funny because we were sitting around the other night talking about that with Trevor Hoffman, and he's like, Kotz, I think you might have been able to come in uh, and close a game in the big leagues. Now they might have actually let you do that. And I and that was probably my biggest uh, disappointment in my career is I didn't get to toe the rubber in the big leagues because I did thoroughly enjoy coming in getting those last three outs of those college games and, uh, you know, the, the feeling, the excitement, the, uh, just all the whole rush of, of being on the mound and, and closing a game out um, was something I, I really did enjoy in college and, and unfortunately didn't get that chance to, to ever toe the rubber and throw a pitch in the big leagues. But Well, you know, we, we've seen – I mean, I wish Shohei Otani was healthy because he's, he's an unbelievable talent. But I just think, like, contract negotiations – if you're doing it offensively and you're coming in and closing games, what, what's your worth? I mean, you'd be worth a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, the way they evaluate and and uh, and, and assess contracts now or salaries, I, I think that uh, I, I may have benefited from from the analytics uh, as a player, uh, especially from the defensive side, uh, the metrics that they reward players now for defensive runs saved. And I remember my. Uh, second, I mean, the first or second year in the big leagues with the Marlins, I led the league for two straight years with 21 and 20 outfield assists. So I, I don't know where that would rank in terms of uh, run saved, but uh, I, I would assume it would be up there. Hey, it's always great to have you on the program. Happy holidays. Congratulations on the new job, and we can't wait to see you. Be safe with the family, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me, Tony. I appreciate it, buddy. The great Mark Kotze right here on A's Cast Live. Think about that, man. He threw hard. I'm telling you, I lived it. The guy would go three for four, four for five. He was a 400 career hitter. And then he'd come in from center field and blow gas by you. Like Mark Kotze could have pitched in the big leagues. I don't know how good he would have been, but he would have got people out. Heck, we've seen plenty of people. I mean, we're just talking to Kevin Franzen earlier today where – the Phillies, they couldn't hold a lead at all. I mean, they were giving up. Didn't they set – you didn't set the record because it was a 60-game season, but didn't they blow five five run or more leads at a percentage we'd never seen? Remember we had that stat? Yeah. It was like a crazy stat. Their, their, um, their bullpen overall was just a uh, – that proverbial uh, dumpster fire image that you see people post on social media – that just shows you how bad they were. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to their, their overall rankings for their bullpen on Fangraphs, and they, they just, I just remember like, yeah, they got Workman and all those guys in a deal, and you're telling me a guy like uh, Mark Kotze wouldn't be able to help you, <laughs> um, it, it just overall because you're, you don't have any guys like the, the throw hard, like, like I, they have like Sir Anthony Dominguez, and they have a few other guys that aren't bad, but like they just weren't very good this year. Like, I'm, um, here I'm gonna pull up their ERA. Their ERA was dead last in baseball at seven point oh six. They only had, well, they actually had eleven saves. the The team with the least amount of saves in Major League Baseball. I don't know how well they only won uh, like fourteen games. The Pirates had six saves, so the Phillies weren't that bad. But it's just everything for them just went wrong uh, this year for their bullpen. When you think of the Phillies, their bullpen is usually pretty good. You, you, you've seen them with guys like Brad Lidge and Jonathan Papelbon and 
now you're like, who's closing games for the Phillies? Like you, you can't. I, I couldn't even. I couldn't even tell you who their closer is right now, without looking. All right. So like, like, look at Kotze here. Let's take Kotze with the A's in 2004. He's in his prime at 28 years old. He hits 314, 15 jacks, 63 RBIs. 37 doubles, 190 hits. He's got an OPS of 829, pretty good. OPS plus of 116, pretty good. Got MVP votes. He finished 14th. Now, what if you brought in 20-plus saves? What is that guy worth? We're looking like, okay, look, let's look at it for a reliever standpoint, just a reliever alone. People think that Liam's worth between, you know, 40 and $50 million on a three-year deal. So that's a good amount of money. That's 14 to 16 to $17 million a year. Then add on how good he is on the field, hitting and defense, and he talked about how good he was with his arm. So that plays a part. So your defense is good and you're a solid hitter. You're looking at probably 20, what, 20 in this market prior to the pandemic, $25 million a year at least? Oh, I, I think it's more than that. Well, you're I, gonna, think you're, I think you're worth thir- I think you're worth well over $30 million. I think the only problem is you're going to run into the team going, look, you got to do one or the other. We can't risk you going out there and getting hurt. But there's some other teams like, 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 like the Rays or something that would find – you know, ways to get you in the game both ways because they like to maximize the value where some teams don't like to do that. So I agree with you. 25 to 30 would be optimal for someone like that. If Mark Kotze was coming out of college right now, you would have people open to him doing both. The landscape has changed. Like he said, you know, he's talking about it. Uh, you heard the guy he was talking about it with was Trevor Hoffman. Baseball Hall of Famer, second all-time on the saves list. Who? Who? Never heard uh, of him. He actually started, I don't know what position he played, but when he went to Arizona, he wasn't a pitcher. When I'm talking about University of Arizona, he's a wildcat. Trevor Hoffman was a minor league, I think was he a shortstop or a third baseman or something like that. Trevor Hoffman wasn't a pitcher. Shortstop. He he was a shortstop. He yeah. turned himself into a pitcher and then was in that trade that uh, where they sent Gary Sheffield to to the Marlins. Uh, let's I'm on there. I'm on his page right now. Um, try to see, it's, I'm trying to see if they show the trade. I think it's, uh, I think it's, yes. The Padres sent Gary Sheffield and pitcher Rich Rodriguez to the Marlins for Hoffman and two other guys. But Hoffman wasn't like – I don't even think he had a save yet, did he? Uh, let's see, did he? I don't think it's, it's not really showing his – I'm on his – I went to – I made a mistake, went to his Wikipedia page because it was the first thing that came up. Um, but I don't think he did because, let's see, with the Marlins – yeah, actually he had a total of uh, – he had two saves with the, Mar- with the Marlins that year. And then he went to San Diego and had three and then – the rest 20, is history. 20, 31, 42, 37, 53, and then on and on and on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Mariano Rivera, just the years are just – it's just insane. You know, there's another guy that's, that was a pretty good closer that uh, didn't play 
wasn't a pitcher either. Jason Isringhausen, when I was doing some research on him, he was an outfielder before he went to the – well, he was at the community college that he was at, and then he transitioned into a pitcher. You know another guy, and I, I can't remember – you remember Brooks Kieschnick? Yes, I do. At the University of Texas. The, he played for the Cubs. I, was, I always picture him as a brewer. Wasn't he a brewer, too? I just, he was in college, he was he was like Kotze. He was like, he could he could pitch, he could hit. I don't know. I, I mean, I got to look it up. But um, I don't know if he got a fair shake. I, I, I ever, Shohei Otani fascinates me. It's just, he's got unreal ability that I don't know we haven't seen since Babe Ruth I mean when you watch Shohei Otani take batting practice he launches the ball he's big he's strong he's fast that by the way was the first thing I noticed um in when when the A's played him for the first time in in Oakland was how fast he got down that line. And you remember Mark Gubazos told us that there's some people that said, you know, line Trout up with him. Let's see who's faster. Can you imagine he could be faster than Mike Trout? He's tall and he got those long strides, so it makes sense. Long legs, <laughs> man. And 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 his his stuff's electric, but you know. I can I, I still to this day want to meet those scouts that said he's not going to be able to his his offense won't play in major league baseball like what are you watching bro Shohei Otani could be a guy who hits fourth for the American League in the all-star game and start the game as a pitcher I don't think we're ever going to get that and that's sad he has that kind of talent he's a he's a I don't know, once-in-a-generation talent? Oh, absolutely, I mean, cause, yeah. Yeah, because we saw his stuff. Like, we, 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 I mean, against the A's, he showed he had ace-like stuff. And then we've also seen him hit, you know, bombs. So the big question is, now what do you do with him? And it kind of goes with your A.J. Puck, I think. Closer? If I'm running the Angels, I can't remember who their new GM is. Uh, uh, Perry, um, I always butcher his last name. Manasian. or Mara something. Manasian or. Yeah. If I'm that guy, I got to have, I got to have, it's just, it's dumb not to have Otani in the lineup. This whole, he can't hit the day before he pitched. He can't hit day he pitches. He can't hit the day. Like, that's ridiculous. He's in the lineup every day. I got to have him and Trout and Rendon in the lineup every day. Book it. And then you know what I'm doing with him now? I'm probably bringing him out of pen, out of the pen. It's probably the smartest he, move for them. He, 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 A, he can't stay healthy. And B, I need his bat in the lineup. So, like, what we talked about what Katze could do, this is probably what Otani needs to do. And I know I don't like the Angels, but I like the player. He's very intriguing to have the skill set. And I don't know how many guys, like, like you know, they talk about guys that had, like, legendary arms. I don't know, could Roberto Clemente come in and blow 100? 
I was just watching the other day, uh, watching on MLB Network, they had the uh, the Cobra, Dave Parker. Did you put Big Dave up on the mound? Could he blow people away? I, I think, I, I think it's – we're now more open to it. So let's face it, you know, most of these players growing up, they're the best athletes on their team. So most of these guys play shortstop, and they pitch. Like Sonny Gray was a middle infielder. I don't remember if Sonny Gray is a hitter. We didn't see a whole heck of a lot of that, but great athlete. I mean, think about Mark Mulder. Mark Mulder is, is a plus handicap, which means he's better than scratch. You don't think that guy could hit if you would have given him? I mean, Mark Mulder is a great athlete. I mean, you could have put Mulder well, out in right field. I'm just is this the next thing that's going to happen in, in Major League Baseball? Who's the guy with the Reds? He's not. He's not great. But Michael, Michael Lorenzen. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's there. But, um, the the Rays have a guy, uh, Brendan McKay, who they drafted. It's a first baseman pitcher. Uh, the Angels have another one. Is it? Is it Jared Walsh? That's a pitcher. Yes. That's a pitcher and a first baseman. Okay, so if I'm a first baseman. I could come in and face a batter and then go back to first base. Well, the Rays did that. Remember how the Rays would manipulate the, the way the infield would work? They bring a guy in, he pitch, they take him. Like, Romo, Romo come and pitch. They'd move him to third, probably for a lefty matchup, and then take that guy out, put him back on the mound, and put someone at third base. Yeah, that's totally Like, I could come in. Let's say I'm a right-handed pitcher. I... I don't know where you're going to put the other pitcher. The guy that's got to get the lefties out, what's a three-batter minimum now? But if there wasn't the three-batter minimum, you technically could go like, I'm a first baseman, I go pitch, go back to first, two batters later, get back on the mound and pitch. If you didn't have the three-batter minimum, you could totally do that. Yeah, and a lot of uh, – from what I read while we were off for Thanksgiving – a lot of managers aren't a fan of uh, the three, the old three batter minimum. While well, Joe Girardi said that, uh, I think I, do I still have the audio of the three batter minimum from him. Uh, yeah, here's what Joe Girardi had to say about the three batter minimum. The minimum three hitter rule is the dumbest rule. If the commissioner is listening, it's the dumbest rule that we've ever put in because it changes the strategy of the game. And I hope he changes that. From what I saw, the games were not sped up. He's right. The games were actually a lot slower this year, not by much, by like a few minutes. But uh, the three batter minimum, I was never a fan of it. I think that it, it kind of it, it does take away strategy. But going back to your point, yes, I think that you could have a guy realistically do that. And we're, I think that's going to be the next trend. We're going to see. I don't think we're going to see it a lot, but you've already seen a couple teams doing it. It's trying to be championed in Anaheim, and the Rays are always going to be at the forefront of something like that's new and innovative. So. I bet we'll see more guys like this. But the whole idea of having a guy like Kotze, uh, I, I would have loved to see it. And that's going to be a great promo that will be running on AceCast eventually when I get that, of Kotze saying how the, it's probably the most disappointing thing in his career he never got to pitch. I actually like the three-batter rule. I want, I want guys who can come in and just not do one thing. The game has gotten so specialized 
I, I don't want a guy. I, I don't want a guy who can just get lefties out. I want guys who can get people out. And that's where and that 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 and because Girardi wants to have that expert lefty to come in and get left-handed hitters out. That's ha- what he wants. The Javi Lopez's of the world. That's what he's used to. And you know what? I don't like that. I want a guy. I want a guy like Jake Diekman. I want a guy that can get everybody out. And I'm tired of watching you guys go out to the mound and changing all these pitchers. It's going to happen anyway, but I, 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 I disagree. Maybe that's why the Phillies bullpen was so bad. The three batter minimum came back to bite them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he just bitter his, his bullpen stunk. Matt Kawahara is going to join us coming up next from the San Francisco Chronicle right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to Ace Cast Live. Friend of the program. We're going to have to get him on again to see his uh, home studio down in Florida. Uh, it was pretty cool to see that whole setup that he had. I was uh, speaking with the great Alan Bernstein. I know him as and- Roxy. You know him as Roxy. I know him as Alan. Um, yeah, I mean, everything ESPN is going to do is everybody's going to be from their house. Except for Monday Night Football. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys are there. Although I feel like Lewis Riddick never talks. So I feel like it's just Levy and, and Greasy. Levy and Greasy? It's it just, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I like Lewis Riddick a lot, but I feel like he doesn't get a chance to talk enough. I feel like he's the best one out of all there, but uh, I, I'm glad they're kind of doing that for baseball, like because all these people, all of them are in different areas of the country. Yeah, I mean, well, it's I mean, college basketball. I mean, every you know, things are going to start to get rolling here, and uh, you know, Roxy's going to be calling Big Ten basketball from uh, <laughs> from his house in the peninsula. Call, he's going to be calling a uh, a Rutgers Penn State game from his house in in. Uh, yeah, in the peninsula. It's all the and way I'm in Jersey. His, his partner, Bill Walton, will be somewhere <laughs> in Southern California. Uh, well, I, I saw people tweeting about him on the commentary yesterday, so i got to tune into one of these college basketball games soon. All right, I'm going to call Matt for us. You haven't heard him? I mean, No, no I have, so, just, not, not, just not this year. He's so – he's just allowed to be Bill Walton. Bill. Yeah, you can do whatever he wants. I mean, it really, I mean, he, he'll go off on any kind of tangent. Matt, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the A's. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Uh, we're just talking about Bill Walton because our buddy Roxy Bernstein, I was just talking to him, and uh, basically, you know, all the college basketball, all these broadcasters on ESPN are uh, going to be at home for the broadcast. And I'm just thinking, can you imagine doing a game at home and you're doing it with Bill Walton because you have no idea where he's going to go. <laughs> I was going to say, it's probably not going to be much of an issue for Bill Walton because he just seems to go off on tangents anyway. But, for yeah, that's a good point. For whoever's doing the game with it, that could be tough. You know, we've been thinking about the A's and this offseason. It's going to go slow, but I feel real positive because I know for years, I mean, this is, this, is the A's, this is the A's pond. This is what they fish in. 
you know, a one-year deal, bringing a guy in for one year. And I have to think, when you say, Matt, that a lot of players, if you're looking around saying, if I'm, if I'm only going to sign a one-year deal, I want to sign a one-year deal with a team that has a chance to win, and the A's are one of those teams. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, the big question, I guess, for the A's and for everybody really is just, you know, how, how many – players they're going to be able to start how much money they're going to be able to commit to players that they don't already have under uh you know under control um i mean i i know a lot of people were expecting that yesterday was just going to be a total like bloodbath in terms of players not being tendered and and the free agent market getting even more saturated it didn't really turn out to be that way i don't think there were that many more players that were non-tendered than the previous season um but yeah there already are a lot of players out there and there's you know, like you said, there's just so much uncertainty about how the market's going to be. And, and the A's do, I think they're, um, I mean, I think that, you know, people have debated about like whether they kind of missed a shot this year or, you know, windows closing, opening, closing for them, but they do still have that core coming back. And like you said, that they, they are, I think still a team that um, is built to contend this season. So the que- I mean, the question for them is just, you know, how much money they're, how much they're going to be looking to conserve, you know, more than usual after after the year that was uh, this year with not having revenue from fans and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. It didn't seem like there were that many players yesterday that that added that uh, hit the market in terms of position players that would maybe be good fits. I mean, you look at the the needs that they have up the middle in the infield, um, the openings there, and there weren't you know too many glaring names. I don't think that that popped up that could be potential for them and you don't know if they're going to go after the big name guys there were a a ton of relievers i think they hit the market yesterday and they could look at some of those um those right-handed relievers to kind of fill out the bullpen but uh but yeah to your point i think yeah i mean the a's are still um from a competitive standpoint a a pretty favorable i think destination just just for that standpoint but the money is always always an issue yeah you know with with money and baseball we, I mean, other than the Mets, I mean, the Mets have come out, their owner comes in, uh, he's the richest guy in baseball, he wants to spend money. Other than the Mets, you really haven't heard anyone else talk about, yeah, let's go out and sign some contracts. So it's like, it's like we're going into this offseason blind. We have no idea who's got money, who doesn't, and who's willing to spend. No, and... It's. I mean, I'm sure it's very. Um, it's pretty unsettling position for a lot of the the players who are out there on the market, and it does seem like it's going to be. I think you know there have been a few starting pitchers who have been signed already, and um, I mean Mike Miner signed a, a a fairly significant deal. I mean for a guy who uh, I know he was an All Star in 2019, but it, you know it struggled a little before that. Didn't have the best season this year. Pitched decently for the A's, but yeah, it, it seemed like he was maybe even a little bit better in relief uh, than the couple of starts that he, that he made, but he signed a, a pretty decent uh, deal with the Royals. So the starting pitching market has, has started to move a little bit, but yeah, other than that, it's um, been pretty stagnant so far <laughs> going into the winter meetings uh, next week. You don't know if it's it's going to pick up there or, or stay, uh, stay pretty stagnant, but yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, from the talk that you're hearing, it does, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, just getting ready to, to boil over anything. It's going to be pretty slow developing all, all winter. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, a, a big question that we've kind of been working on today and we've been thinking about it is, you know, how this is really going to affect your minor league system long term when we don't know when they'll play again. 
They've already been off over a year. Um, the progress that certain players that you really like, you know, I mean, we just don't know what these guys have all been doing. I'm sure they're trying to stay in shape and everything, but just, you know, talk about how just the unknown of your minor league system going forward, it's kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, significant effect, I mean, especially for the guys who just didn't, you know, weren't in that player pool this past year where they were able to at least, you know, be at that San Jose uh, alternate site and get some, some team oriented workouts or, um, you know, there, there were a few additional prospects who uh, got to go take part in that instructional league for a few weeks after the season ended, but uh, nothing like that compares to, to the full season. So yeah, from, um, you know, we did, uh, we, we talked to Ed Sprague, the, the Ace Farm director after the instructional league wrapped up. And he said that for the most part, it seemed like the guys who were at uh, part of that team in Arizona um, had all done a pretty good job over the season, especially, uh, you know, you mentioned the guys who, who weren't in San Jose and who they didn't, you know, they were in contact with these guys, obviously, but they weren't able to uh, have their hands on them and be working with them frequently and, um, and just kind of keeping that kind of tabs on their progress. Uh, but he said he was pretty impressed overall with how the group looked, how players had been able to keep, uh, keep themselves in shape. Um, you know, there was, there was obviously rust uh, when, when things first started, but he said over the course of a, a few weeks as they started to play some more games, it seems like some of the hitters were starting to get their timing back. And just overall, it was, it was sounded pretty pleasantly surprised. I don't know surprised is the right word, but optimistic just about how that group looked overall. So, I mean, if you extrapolate that out and you think that maybe, maybe all the players in the system or, or, or most of the players in the system are doing the same type of work and, and, uh, keeping on their toes to kind of keep in shape, um, you know, maybe that maybe that bodes well for when they are able to get everybody back uh, together. But yeah, like there's still that uncertainty about when that's going to happen, and there's so much, so many changes with the minor leagues um, this off season, and you know how many teams are going to who the affiliates are going to be, whether uh, minor league uh, rosters systems are going to be limited to a certain amount of players. Um, so you would think, I mean for guys who, who haven't been part of those, uh, those groups that have been brought in, yeah, it's gotta be just, you know, mentally sort of a grind, um, to, even if you were pretty motivated, you know, to keep yourself going for a lot of this past summer, um, you know, getting into this, this off season and, and not really having maybe such a clear picture of what it's going to look like next year. Yeah. It's, it's probably, it's probably kind of tough to, um, to keep, you know, pushing forward, but, uh, I, know, I think I, you know, you, you would think the A's at least have are keeping in touch with with prospects and and um, you know and, and trying to do their best to to see these guys through, and uh, and you know in terms of the top prospects, the guys that they had both in San Jose and and Instructional League, I think they were pretty happy with uh, just you know given the circumstances, the progress they were able to make last year. You know, you just talk about real world stuff, and I I wonder how many. You know, if if, if it's going to be a while for minor league baseball to start back up, I just wonder how many guys are, you know, it's real world. They're just going to go get jobs. They need money. They need to, you know, I, I could see a lot of guys going, well, you know, if you're not a, I don't know, top five round or if you're not listed as one of the top prospects, I, I'm, I'm scared we're gonna, just going to lose a lot of guys because they got to go earn a living somewhere. Yeah, I think that was even when this kind of all first started, um, and it was—I forget exactly when it was decided that uh, that there was not going to be a minor league season. 
somewhere around like what was it May or June of this year. But um, that was kind of from the development standpoint, uh, talking to the AIDS officials, the biggest impact was really going to be found on not like the the real uh, like the real young guys or sort of the top end prospects. Um, the real impact was going to be on kind of the fringier guys or maybe who are, you know, solid minor league players or kind of pushing their way up through the middle of the system, but maybe getting a little bit older and not, um, you know, in the mid to, to late twenties range uh, and who don't really have as clear of a, of a path or um, maybe, you know, as set of it. Yeah. We're, this is a guy we're targeting. Those are the guys who are falling in that category that you're talking about where, um, you know, that those real world considerations come into play. And if they're not going to be part of this focus group for this year, then yeah, you, you really do have to kind of start thinking about practicalities. Um, and I think that was uh, from the ACE template, that was, that was the, the group that they were thinking they might see some, uh, see some more effects, maybe some losses is, is guys who, who were um, sort of more on the fringe. So yeah, if you look at it from like an organizational impact um, standpoint, I think, you know, their, their top prospect names, the effect is going to be not being, not having games for a year basically. And yeah, that affected the A's, but that is affecting every, um, every team system, you know, throughout the league. So, so everybody's kind of having to deal with that, but, um, but really from a player standpoint, it's, it's, yeah, those guys who were talking about who were double A guys and fringier, fringier minor leaguers who, who might've, you know, needed or, or taken this year to uh, to broaden the perspective or, or consider whether they might have to look elsewhere. Your colleague, Susan Slusser, uh, did, a, did the article about Marcus Simeon and his agent. And, of course, his agent is looking for a $100 million deal. I read that. I went, no way. Like, like if, <laughs> if you really had to, like, look at Marcus Simeon as a free agent, what are you thinking? Well, it, there. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of fa- factors, I guess, to to take into consideration that are pretty weird. <laughs> this uh, this offseason, pretty unusual. Um, you know, I don't know how different it, it would be gauging that kind of thing this winter as opposed to maybe like if he had hit the market last winter, if he was hitting the market this this offseason, coming off a uh, a more normal year. But you know, the, the free agent shortstop market there aren't a lot of, there aren't really any, too many big names um, this, uh, this off season. It's him, uh, Andrelton Simmons, um, is out the Didi, uh, Didi Gregorius, but you know, those aren't, those aren't really top of uh, the market um, guys, those other two. And, and, you know, Marcus didn't have the best season this, this year, but had that top three MVP finish. So it's kind of gauging whether this year was, you know, it was, it was going to be a letdown regardless, or if, if there was, you know, factors that uh, played in just from the weirdness and the, the stop and start and um, everything involved. So I, I, you know, you can't really blame an agent for, <laughs> for putting that out there for, you know, going out, going big for, uh, for the client, going after um, whatever they can get. And, I, I think, again, it goes back to what you were mentioning earlier about what teams are going to be willing to, to offer this offseason in part with because 
if you're a, a team who does have uh, money to spend and who you know who likes what Marcus Hoffman wants to lock somebody up for for a long term, contracts have gotten just really big over the last uh, last few years. So the numbers keep rising, and it's a little bit um, you know you don't really know necessarily where where that uh, stops. But yeah, I think uh, if you if you're looking at Teams being, you know, willing to, to shell out those those really big contracts this offseason, you might not. It, it, you kind of view that with a little bit of skepticism at this point. And still, until I guess until they start uh, until they start rolling out. You know, we love Liam Hendricks on this show, um, but when when I started hearing some figures, I'm like, people need to realize he's he was a closer for like part of the season two years ago. Last year, he was the closer for 60 games. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience. So that's why I was, you know, people like, I can't believe he didn't get the qualifying offer for 18.9. It'd be like, wait a minute, he'd be like the second highest paid closer in the game. Um, I mean, when, when you look at his mar- his market, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a lot to offer a reliever for one season. Um, I think he's pretty unquestionably, if not the top, reliever or closer on the market this season than one of them. Um, I don't know if that necessarily translates into something like uh, 18.9 million for a year. Maybe it's, you know, 13 to 15 averaged over two or three years, but I do, I mean, yes, it's not, you know, such a long track record as maybe some other closers have, but he's been so dominant. Uh, in that role for um, this year. And I think the fact that it spanned, even though it was only for, it wasn't for the entire 2019 season, I think the fact that it does span two years because he did it for um, the end of 2019 and was probably one of, well, it was one of the ALs, if not the ALs best uh, reliever this closer this season, then I think that, um, that, uh, it's hard to argue with uh, with even that uh, that sample size. Um, and if you're if you're looking at a case of uh, like, like a Marcus Simeon versus a case of a Liam, Hendrick, uh, Liam Hendricks, I mean the un- the questions with with Marcus come partly from the fact that you know he he did have such a great season in 2019, but then it dipped uh, really pretty noticeably this year in terms of his offensive production. And so you do, you know, you question whether that would have evened out over a 162 game season. But uh, for Liam Hendricks, there was no drop off whatsoever. In fact, he was potentially better this year. Um, so I think he, I think the market will be pretty strong for him. Um, the qualifying offer, like we said, I think that was just a number that you don't necess- you don't really see get. <laughs> there, there aren't a lot of qualifying offers extended to relievers in the first place, but. Uh, but that number for one year for a reliever would have been would have been a lot. So I wasn't surprised to, to not see that happen. Yeah, I I I I I I would love that qualifying offer. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be bad. I mean, like you saw, what was it, Gosman across the bay take that yeah. for? Uh, yeah, you know, eighteen point nine for for one year, uh, especially not knowing what the free agent market, how that's going to play out this offseason, and. Yeah, I, I don't. I I think that was a, would have been a pretty tempting offer if uh, if the A's had extended it to either guy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not feeling disrespected at eighteen point nine million. Maybe it's just no. Me. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, great stuff. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Be safe. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. You too. Yeah, I mean, I, I guarantee you, if you offered the qualifying offer to Liam, he takes it. No question. Well, if you look at the – they put this graphic up on MLB Now. Uh, I think it was yesterday. The highest paid players so far in free agency have been starting pitchers. Uh, and the two highest are the guys who took the qualifying offer. Uh, Kendall, Kevin Gosman and – Marcus Stroman, and then you have Charlie Morton who took 15, and then there was Drew Smiley who took 11, and Robbie Ray got, what, $8 million? Now, since we've been on the air, it was reported by Robert Murray of Fansided, and other people like John Heyman and stuff have tweeted it too, I believe. Uh, the Mets are, lo- are working on a four-year deal for a catcher, but it's not JT Real Muto. It's actually supposed to be James McCann they're working towards hopefully trying to sign James McCann, not Real Muto, to be their their backs up for the next four years. He's been a guy that kind of broke out later in his career. He's what, I think he's 30, so he's still pretty young-ish, and he's just breaking out now, and he's he's a good catcher defensively. So that'd be good for the Mets. They can still focus on uh, George Springer and maybe Trevor Bauer. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. Like Steve Cohen was on Twitter asking Mets fans, who are the best free agents they would like to see? Um, sure, he probably took all those to heart, and and uh, they, everyone probably said the same people like I would. We want to see Springer and Real Muto and Bauer, and um, I know I'm forgetting one other big free agent, but it's cool to see that he's doing that because he is a Mets fan at heart. So that's the big uh, that's the only really news I've seen lately today about anything going on in the uh, baseball off season uh, hot stove, and we got the winter meetings coming up on Monday. So maybe we'll see some stuff. Because remember when we were in San Diego last year, what was it, Strasburg resigned, and then Cole signed, then we were getting on the plane to fly home, and Rendon signed his deal with the Angels. So we'll see if anything uh, anything breaking happens from today till Monday. If not, we should see maybe something over the uh, next couple of days, next week in the winter meeting. So maybe exciting times are on its way for uh, this uh, Major League offseason, or hot stove it's uh, as it's usually called. You ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, I'm going to start with, with uh, we talked about it earlier a little bit, the signing of uh, Corey Knabel by the Los Angeles, uh, sorry, the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, for the second offseason in a row, the Dodgers acquired a former all-star reliever. Last year, they signed former A, Blake Trinan, after he was non-tendered by the A's after a down 2019 season. But Trinan was lights out in 2018, including being an all-star. In 2020 with the Dodgers, Trinan was 3-3 with a 3.86 ERA, but he's now a free agent. So the Dodgers needed to replace him. So what did they do? Yesterday, they went out and acquired former Brewers closer, 2017 all-star Corey Knable from the Brewers. Canable had 39 saves in 2017, and he was a little bit down in 2018. He was still pretty solid, and then he had Tommy John surgery in 2019. He struggled in 2020, but he's only 29 years old. His velocity started – you saw an uptick in his velocity again this year as well. It was up around 94, where he was at 97. So he's down a little bit, but he's still in the, almost the mid-90s on his fastball. And the Dodgers are known for making uh, guys better when they acquire him. Buying or selling Corey Canable will be an all-star in 2021 for the Dodgers. I will sell that. Wow. 
you know, it's amazing how guys have just one year their lights out the next year they can't get anybody out i mean like the consistency you know you remember the closers right like bruce Suter, you know anybody you know we, we talked about hoffman and mariana rivera earlier today think about dennis eckersley billy wagner billy Wagner. i mean guy john franco i mean there you go. Just go a, a whole list of guys that were cons- pretty much consistent right uh, I can go old school on you, like Kent Tocolvi. I was waiting for you to throw out Teak. I really was waiting for you to say Teak. Because, uh, uh, who's who? Um, Dan Quisenberry. That's another right. good one. Uh, Lee if Smith. You, the great Hall of Famer, Lee yeah. Smith. I mean, these guys were consistent, and they closed for a long time. It's like nowadays, like, one year guy's great, next year he stinks. It's like there's, like, no consistency at the position anymore. Do, do we call John Smoltz legendary closer, or do we call John Smoltz legendary pitcher? Uh, legendary pitcher. Yeah, he was pretty good, but he got saved too. But you're right. We don't see a lot of uh, – like, who's the guy we th- – when you think of closers in the last – I don't know, just the last 20 years, besides Moe and Hoffman, who, like, who are you thinking of? I mean, K-Rod was pretty consistent, I mean, throughout the years. Um, Joe Nathan was pretty good. I mean, Chapman's yeah. been pretty solid, but, like, who else is a really that's been, like, having a long, you know, amount of sustained success as a closer? A lot of the guys are, are different guys every couple of years, and that's just finding value in different guys. Like, Edwin Diaz was supposed to be the next big deal, and uh, shout out the Mets. Two years ago on this day, they, they pulled off that trade to get him in Cano. And, uh, Actually, well, I'm looking at the all-time list right now. You know who's had a really good career but has fallen off? Craig Kimbrell. Yeah. He's 12th in the all-time list. So it goes Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, Lee Smith, K-Rod, John Franco, Billy Wagner, Dennis Eckersley, Joe Nathan, Jonathan Papelbon, and Jeff Reardon. That's your uh, top 10 saves all-time. Fernando Rodney's still active. He's 17th. Uh, Not a whole lot. Like, Henley Jansen is 24th all-time. That's pretty good. He's had a long, he's had a good run of success. I mean, the last couple of years went a little down, but. Roldis Chapman, who's active, uh, 34. Our guy Soria's at uh, 43 with uh, 223. Uh, Moanson, Greg Holland. But yeah, there's not, there's not. Not like the guys that we grew up with where it's like every year this guy's getting a ton of saves. Yeah, and like Tom, that's a good article if you, if you want to check it out. And we, we talk about it next week. Tom Verducci released his uh, best baseball players of the 2000s. So it was like, or the li- of pretty much of this century. Like he put together an all-century team so far. His reliever, number one starting, or number one reliever was Mo. His number two guy was Craig Kimbrell. So, I mean, that just shows you how good Kimbrell was from the Braves to the Red Sox. Remember when he was a Padre for a little bit? And then now with the Cubs, uh, he's had a good run of, run of success. So, yeah, people forget Kimbrell. Um, last one, and then we'll, I'll save the rest for next week. There's a lot of unknowns heading to this 2021 season, spring training being one of them. How many regular season games there will be? Will there be fans in the stands? Another unknown is the universal DH. This is big because there are several free agents who are, current, are who have uncertainty right now without knowing if the NL will have a DH. Marcelo Zuna, Nelson Cruz, and Kyle Schwarber come to mind for me. It is also something that needs to be negotiated in the seat win with the CBA coming up and expiring in December of next year. The, the, this is going to be big. The Universal DH also creates 15 new jobs in baseball. 
but it's also going to be a give and take between the owners and the players. Buying or selling, there will not be a universal DH in 2021. That there will not be one? Yeah, there will not be one. I'm selling that. It, does, it just doesn't look good right now. I mean, we're in December and they haven't decided that yet. I mean, we're in free agency. They, 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 they don't have to decide right now. They don't have to. They, they, they have now learned that they can make the rules as they go along. That's fair. They did that last I year. Mean, that, that, that's what COVID taught Major League Baseball, that, you know what, um, We'll make the rules when we want to make the rules. And all the all the rules changes, by the way, are all rules that the that the players association wants. As you just said, that's more jobs. Yeah, totally. That's more high paying jobs. You see, you think the players union doesn't want that? Oh, of course they do. But then, if you, then the owners could feel like if they give them that, then they want something in return, and then it comes a whole battle again. And but yeah, I, I hope we see the DH because I told you before how I, I don't want to see pitchers hit 130 and not be able to lay down a sack bunt uh, if that happens again in the National League. Bring the uh, bring the DH to both leagues. I'm not going to be those people who go, no, I want to see the pitcher bat. What's well, a one out of every thousand at bats? You'll see a guy at a home run oh, pass, pass. I'd rather see a guy that can hit a little bit. Uh, take over on the, in, in the ninth spot or wherever they put him in the lineup instead of a pitcher. What if baseball, and I have not been told this, but what if baseball is just holding that card because they have to, they kind of got to see what kind of season they're looking at. I don't think they know right now. I don't think they know the number of games. They didn't know last time. It ended up being 60. Uh, I'm assuming they want to play more than that. What if they're just kind of holding that card? It's like a negotiation piece saying, I'll just throw out a number, 100 games. And the players associations, like, eh, and you go, well, we'll give you the DH in both leagues. So it's all a negotiation. But I would probably think about it from a standpoint of, uh, I don't think they know yet. It's a fair point fair it's true like if you got if you 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 called up uh manfred our good friend rob manfred robbie we like to call him here on the program and said gun to your head how many games we're we gonna play next year i don't think he i don't think he could tell you yeah, there's so much uncertainty and unknowns right now it's i mean look, look how we're locking down california right now yeah the four can't even play in santa clara they're playing in arizona i think I think it said for like the foreseeable future. So who knows? They could finish their season there. So who knows? I mean, it doesn't affect us and baseball in Santa Clara County, but you don't think Alameda and San Francisco would follow that? San Francisco County would follow that same thing? Oh, Let me not- ask you a question. Who's better, the Arizona Niners or the Buffalo Blue Jays? Ironically, they're playing each other this week. The Buffalo Bills are playing the Arizona 49ers on Monday Night Football, so we're going to see a matchup of those. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I haven't, I haven't seen the Arizona Niners play, so i got to take the Buffalo Blue Jays. They made the playoffs. I, hey, the bottom line is Canada, there's no American team going into Canada anytime soon. So the Canadian teams, you're either going to have to play. Like, Raptors won't be able to play in Toronto. They're not. They're the. It was announced like two weeks ago. They're playing in Tampa Bay this year. The Tampa right, so- Bay Raptors. 
Like e- either either you need to bring all the Canadian teams down for hockey or they're going to stay there by themselves and only play each other. Yeah, I've heard from different people that I know in, in the league that they think that that's what's going to happen, that it's going to be the Canadian teams play, and then you can see different ways that they, the American teams play. Because what, there's seven Canadian teams and then the the 24 American teams because there's 31 teams in hockey until the Seattle Kraken come in. But now you've got teams like the, the Penguins and I think the Bruins and the Kings and, and there's one that might be the Ducks are looking about playing outdoors. The Kings and Ducks, absolutely, okay, you can play outdoors. The Penguins and Bruins are going to play outside in the middle of winter. I don't. That's that's not going to work. So, a lot a lot of stuff they're trying to work through with this pandemic ongoing. So, everyone stay they, safe. Why would they want to play outside? Uh, just because they're not indoors then. So I don't. know, Maybe you could try to get fans, but. Well, that is. I mean, if you played at a, you know, we've saw. I mean, I saw the Sharks. I don't even remember who they played. I think they played the Kings. They played the Kings. I, yeah. I saw that at Levi Stadium. You can freeze the ice and you can play outdoors and you could easily social distance 50, 50 what do we say 15, 20,000 people yeah. at a football yeah. stadium. Like if there's any place you can social like the like the Oakland Coliseum, uh yeah, we see 15,000 all the time. It's it's doable. Yeah, totally. But interesting, I'm going to follow that story. I want to see how they're going to do that, but uh, I'm looking forward to next week winter meetings. Uh, we're not there like we were last year, but hopefully something will happen and we'll 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 have some good people on. You know, we'll have Bob Melvin and David Forst and a couple of A's players. I'm not going to tell you who. That's a that's a tease. So oh, A's players. That's all I get. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't. We'll see. Uh, there could be a there will be there could be a player named Matt coming on next week if it happens. A Matt. A Matt. Can't tell you who, but that's one of the ones I put a request in for. So we'll see. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. All right, everybody, be safe and continue to listen to A's Cast. We appreciate all your support. And we'll be back on Monday from 1 to 4. We'll talk to you then. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.